Please take your seats. We are going to start this meeting. Welcome to the City Council meeting for today. Uh, I'm going to read the land acknowledgement. The West Hollywood City Council acknowledges that the land on which we gather and that is currently known as the City of West Hollywood is occupied is the occupied, unceded, seized territory of the Gabrieleno Tongva and Gabrieleno Keech peoples. Uh, I'm now calling this meeting to order. It is 6 p.m. Uh, Anthony Bielan, would you uh, lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance this evening? Will you all please stand and join me? Face the flag and your hand over your heart. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Madam City Clerk, may we have a roll call, please? Yes, thank you, Mayor. Councilmember Byers. Present. Councilmember Heilman. Here. Councilmember Meister. Here. Mayor Pro Tem Erickson. Here. Mayor Schein. Present. We have a quorum. Madam City Clerk, are there any changes from staff to the uh, agenda? No, Mayor, there are no changes from staff this evening. Thank you. Do any of my colleagues have any requests for changes to the agenda? Councilmember Meister. Sure, I'll give it a whirl. Um, to move to consent, item 4B is in boy, William S. Hart. Park site improvements. Yes. I have a comment I'd like to add. I think I can include it in my comments, though. Okay. Item 5A, approval of update to public officials' expense reimbursement policy. Okay. I'm on a roll. Uh, 5C, humane and sustainable bee removal. And item 5D, community educational forum. And I would like to pull from consent uh, for excluded consent item 2H, the agreement for services with FKA to conduct a lighting study for the billboards for sunset. Okay, thank you. Um, are there any other changes from my colleagues? Can we move for A to consent? I, I would just like to get a brief okay. uh, report on that. And Mayor, I am not ready with all of my appointments tonight. I apologize. Okay. Are there any other changes this evening? I think just regarding the item um, on Hart Park, it might be best to keep that off consent given the nature of the comments I hope to have just in second consideration. Okay. Sorry. So that is 5A, 5C, and 5D, move to consent. And pulling and 2H to exclude it. 2H. Okay. Do we have a motion to adopt the agenda? So um, moved. Second. And we have a roll call? Or... We need a second. Can someone hear? Council Member Meister did it. I, I okay, we went ahead and did it. Sorry. We're using yeah. the computer today. Yes, we're okay. using the computer. Okay. 
Okay, we have an agenda. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, do any of my colleagues have any adjournment requests for this evening? Mayor Pro Tem. Uh, thank you. So I, I have an adjournment for this evening um, for uh, my friend and a community friend to so many, Dr. Jackson Cat Williams. Uh, we'd like to adjourn tonight's meeting in memory of Dr. Jackson Cat Williams, as well as present a key to the city to honor the legacy that Dr. Williams leaves behind. Dr. Jackson Cat Williams was a veterinary cardiologist in Los Angeles. Dr. Williams grew up in Southern Mississippi and graduated from the College of Veterinary Medicine at Mississippi State University in 1997. Upon graduation, Dr. Williams moved to Los Angeles to complete five years of postdoctorate specialty training in internal medicine and cardiology. Following postdoctoral training, he completed specialty examinations to become a diplomat of the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine, specialty card cardiology, become, becoming one of only 115 veterinary cardiologists in the world at that time. Dr. Williams was driven by his love of animals, people, and medicine. Dr. Williams strongly believed that animals tell us much more than we think if we just pay attention. Even as a child, Dr. Williams had a keen sense of what animals were thinking and needed, establishing special bonds with every creature he encountered. He applied this intuition to his practice to help maintain the highest quality of life for his patients and their families for as long as possible. His clients reported being constantly amazed at how long their pets can live with heart disease if managed properly. Dr. Williams recognized that the stress of the owner-guardian closely affects the stress and health of their pet and that having a sick animal is inherently stressful, particularly if they don't understand what is going on. Accordingly, he devoted extra time with his clients to ensure they understand the disease their pet has to help reduce the stress that they have at home. Dr. Williams' determination to provide the highest quality of care led to the frequent collaboration with local human cardiologists. These collaborations led to the creation of cutting-edge surg surgical techniques that were unavailable to animals prior, including a new non-invasive surgical technique for Cortriatriatem Dexter, a heart defect in dogs. Dr. Williams was also the only cardiologist to have successfully implanted a pacemaker in a rabbit in a clinical setting. Outside of work, Dr. Williams was active in advocacy work, particularly those aimed at ending discrimination of minority cultures. He was a co-founder of Gen Forward, Gender Forward, a nonprofit focused on helping transgender, non-binary, and gender non-conforming youth and the community as a whole. He was also the lead camp counselor at an annual summer youth camp. Jackson was an incredible soul. Um, 
so full of energy, so full of light, so uh, kind and compassionate. And um, he was also a resident of the city of West Hollywood. Dr. Williams passed away on February 26, surrounded by loved ones after a courageous battle with cancer. Dr. Williams leaves behind supportive family members and a huge community of friends and chosen family, including his father, Jack Williams, his mother, Martha Willis, and his sister, Cecilia. I would like to extend my sincere condolences to Dr. Williams's family and friends during this time. Dr. Jackson Cat Williams will truly be missed. He leaves behind a legacy that has touched so many lives in the veterinary community, the LGBTQ community, the West Hollywood community, and those who courageously are battling an, an illness. During his, ba uh, his battle with cancer, he bravely shared his journey to spread awareness and positivity, even during the hardest of times showing us all what true strength looks like. At this time, I would like to invite Chaz Bono, the best friend of Dr. Jackson, Cat Williams, to the podium to accept the key to the city on behalf of uh, Dr. Williams's behalf. And if my colleagues would like to come for a, a photo, please. Thank you, <clears throat> Mayor Shine and all the other council people here. It is my great honor to receive this for Jackson. Um, as you said, he was a truly amazing human being and a, an amazing friend to everyone. Um, and I remember when he found out that he was gonna get this, he was so excited. <laughs> He was so excited telling us, and um, and we had plans to come with him, and um, so this is not how this was supposed to go. You know, Jackson was supposed to be here. Jackson was supposed to be up here talking right now. He was supposed to receive this, and we were going to clap in the audience and support him. And I'm very, very sad that that's not what was able to take place. Um, but he was an amazing human being. He was giving and loving and brave, the bravest person I've ever met, actually. His fight was heroic. And 
all of us who had the fortune of being close to him, of, of being considered a, a friend or a brother to him, um, are just blessed to have had him for the time that we did. But he will be ever, forever missed. Thank you very much for this. Mayor Pro Tem, did you find your adjournment? <laughs> yes, thank you so much, Mayor. Um, I would like to adjourn this meeting um, in memory of the aunt to Margarita Kostanovich, uh, a city employee, um, in recognition of her aunt, Zenadia Manzin, who passed away several weeks ago. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we also have the following presentations this evening. Uh, first, a proclamation regarding Child Abuse Prevention Month presented by Mayor Tr Pro Tem Erickson. Thank you so much, Mayor. Um, I am really excited because my friend Dawn is right there, right in the front. Um, but most importantly, um, this really important month and having this conversation and having you here is a great honor. So thank you for all that you do. So we have a proclamation. So whereas April is National Child Abuse Prevention Month, which recognizes the importance of families and communities working together to prevent child abuse and neglect. And whereas approximately five children die every day because of child abusers and over 3.6 million cases of child abuse are reported every year. And whereas the city of West Hollywood commends organizations that are dedicated to preventing and ending child abuse, Loving Way, a nonprofit organization founded by Don McCoy, is committed to fighting to end child abuse through advocacy, awareness, and visibility while bettering the lives of impacted children. And whereas Loving Way was named in honor of Miss McCoy's son, the amazing Waylon, a brave survivor of child abuse suffered at six weeks old, and whereas the mission of Loving Way is focused on three central goals, heightening community awareness, providing much needed resources to families of child abuse victims, and increasing the joy for survivors of childhood abuse and their family and caregivers. And whereas in recognition of Child Abuse Prevention Month, the city acknowledges that we must work together as a community to increase awareness about child abuse and contribute to promote the social and emotional well-being of children and families in safe, stable, and nurturing environments. Now therefore, let it be resolved that the city of West Hollywood hereby recognizes April as Child Abuse Prevention Month and extends its gratitude and my love to Don, McCoy's, Don McCoy, Waylon McCoy, and Loving Way for all they do to support children. Thank you for making the world a better place, Don. Now my colleagues here. Come up there. Okay. <laughs>
right here can be kind of like the attention. <laughs> right, Wei Wei? You know, I wrote like three different things to say thank you, but I just want to start by saying thank you to all of you and thank you to all of your constituents, constituents who voted for you because the fact that you're honoring Child Abuse Prevention Month and honoring children like Waylon and our survivors of abuse and also those who didn't survive, you're showing a sign that you're willing to stand against evil and you're willing to fight evil and you're willing to advocate for these children who many times get forgotten and they, um, a lot of times they're just overlooked in general. Um, you know, in the 80s, child abuse was a big, big um, channel for advocacy. And we saw PSAs on television, we saw it everywhere, and we don't see it as much anymore because there are so many things we have to deal with. But when it comes to child abuse, there isn't enough awareness about it. There isn't visibility. People aren't teaching parents what to look out for. They're not teaching doctors what to look out for, and we've got to improve that. We've got to do better for these kids. Having said that, I just want you to know that even though Waylon survived something horrific in the first six weeks of his life, he's smiling. <laughs> we insist on living in joy and light, and we want to help other children of abuse and their families do the same. We want to make sure that they're seen. Oh, we hear you. We want to make sure they are heard and seen, and especially when they are like Waylon and they cannot talk, they cannot walk, they cannot sit. We say yet just because we want to be hopeful. I was asked once by somebody who was an adversary, shall we say, against child abuse, and they said, why do you keep him in these therapies? And he said, if, if nothing's improving, why do you keep him? I said, he is. But it's, it's very small, it's very minuscule, and we have to have hope because that is what keeps him going. That's what keeps him smiling when everybody applauds because he thinks they're, they're clapping for him because he's heard he's proud throughout his life. Like, I'm so proud of you. His therapist used to say, this child knows what proud means because he hears it all the time. We want all the other children of abuse, many times in foster care, many times in families that don't have the resources to help them. Many times they're so post PTSD and traumatized by it, the families and the children that they can't even focus on how to heal them. And we want to do all we can to help them feel the joy and love, and we call it the loving way because of that. So thank you for being part of it, and thank you for spearheading this journey, John, um, Mayor Pro Tempore Erickson, sorry. And um, thank you all of you for, for being here for us, because we wouldn't be anything without our community, and this, this city and the society as a whole would not be anything without our leaders, and, and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts, and we should clap for Waylon now. Yeah. <laughs> Yay, Waylon! Thank you very Thank much. You. Thank you. Now we have a proclamation regarding National Poetry Month. Whereas National Poetry Month is a month-long celebration of poetry and its vital place in our culture held every April since it was inaugurated by the Academy of American po Poets in 1996, and National Poetry Month reminds us and the public that poets have an integral role to play in our culture and that poetry matters. And the city of West Hollywood has a long tradition of supporting the literary arts 
as demonstrated through its presentation of its WeHo Reads author series, sponsorship of the Little Free Library program, and in 2014, the creation of a City Poet Laureate program. This year, the city is installing a new temporary public art exhibit at Santa Monica and Doheny called Poetry Walk. And since 2014, the city has celebrated National Poetry Month by hanging street pole banners honoring living poets with the current city poet laureate choosing two new people to honor each year. And this year's honorees being Dorothy Randall Gray and Charles Jensen. And in 2020, Brian Sonia Wallace was inaugurated as the fourth West Hollywood City Poet Laureate, and as part of the city's official National Poetry Month activities and We Hill Read series, he is curating a poetry spa day on April 26th of this year. Now, therefore, be it resolved that we, the members of the City Council of the City of West Hollywood, do hereby proclaim the month of April 2023 as National Poetry Month in the City of West Hollywood and urge members of the community to participate in this celebration. Uh, Brian, our Poet Laureate, will come and accept this proclamation. Uh, please join me. Thank you so much, Mayor Schein, members of the council. Um, I have a poem for you all, appropriately, and I have an invitation for everybody. Um, but I'll start with the poem. This poem is entitled, Any Day of the Week. The coffee drinkers are at it again. Afternoon bus riders roll spring between strong fingers. Men stink and chatter happy hours, wonder at the miracle of mattering to another. Familiar loafers tread back streets, soon to be roiled in jacaranda. Rain clears, dogs emerge. A twinkle of hanging orbs arch above the traffic. The flyer says, all are welcome, glittering and audacious as oceans, we go in. Thank you. And I just want to share on a personal note, uh, this is my, the 10th year of the Poet Laureate program. Uh, my third and final time appearing before this council before I pass the sash on to the next laureate. Um, and it's been a, a pleasure to serve and to get to write poems uh, with Pride Poets in June for coming up on over 2,000 members of the community, uh, to get to serve over 500 members of the community 
through our programs, training them as poets, uh, working with them to promote their voices and share their work. Um, and I think it's, it's crass to make an economic case for poetry, but I want to do it. Um, because the city investment in the Laureate program is $3,000 a year, uh, going up to five. And we've seen a return on that investment 10 times over. And that's from the Academy of American Poets putting us on a stage nationally with other cities and states around the country. That's been through uh, my partners at Mickey's West Hollywood, uh, who've been hosting an open mic night weekly, now monthly, on the first Wednesday of each month, and our upcoming relationship uh, with the artistry. So just really our communities, uh, our businesses in this community, really embracing this work and helping lift it up, bringing people into the city. And I hope you will all join us on April 26 for our Poetry Spa Day at the WeHo Rec Center. It's free to join. Um, I'll personally be putting cucumbers over people's eyes as they lay on deck chairs and whispering poetry in their ears. So hope to see you all for that. Thank you, Brian, and thank you so much for your years of service. Now we are going to move on to public comment. The City Council values your comments. However, pursuant to the Brown Act, Council cannot take action on items not listed on the posted agenda. The public comment period is limited to 20 minutes with two minutes allotted to each speaker. This public comment period is to address the City Council on consent calendar items or items of general interest within the subject matter jurisdiction of the City Council. Another period is also reserved for general comment later in the meeting for those that could not be heard at this time. Public hearing testimony will only be taken at the time of the public hearing. If you signed up to speak on both consent calendar items and general public comment, as well as an item that was moved to the consent calendar, <coughs> you may take this public comment period to speak on the consent calendar items. You may also sign up to speak during the second public comment period for your general public comment. Madam City Clerk, will you please call our first speaker? Yes, Mayor, we'll take speakers in chambers first this evening, and our first speaker in chambers is Brandon Blau, followed by David Nash. Um, okay, here, let me make my notes really quick, okay. Um, so I'm here to speak on item 2G, the uh, approval of contract with Flock Group for the ALPR cameras. Um, I realize my time for public comment on the actual project itself has closed, but I wanted to register my comments now rather than never. My issue at hand is not with the contract award to Flock Group, but instead with the utilization of the LA County Sheriff's Department uh, privacy policy for ALPR cameras for that camera installation across West Hollywood. Um, especially within that, I have concerns against the data retention period of five years um, for all of the data and logs covering the detailed travel of both West Hollywood residents and non-residents throughout the Santa Monica Boulevard area. Um, in addition to the interagency law enforcement data transfer allowances provided within that policy, um, there's been experience, there's been um, uh, noted times where at, uh, let's see, Pasadena and Long Beach Police Departments have shared their ALPR data with Immigration and Customs Enforcement. I don't know if that's something we would want to do, um, but it is 
something to note. Um, and then finally, uh, a lack of mandated external cybersecurity audits on what would be this massive and comprehensive data trove of the travel of all of our citizens throughout West Hollywood. Um, all I would ask is that the council take an action to review the privacy policy for um, our use of ALPR cameras, um, our data retention, and law enforcement sharing regulations um, for that. That's all. Thank you. Thank you, Brandon. Our next speaker is David Nash, to be followed by Mikey Friedman. Good evening, Mayor Shine, council members. I'm here to speak on behalf of the drag queen community, the greater LGBTQ community, on behalf of people that live with disabilities and on behalf of seniors. I'm gonna tie them all together in a little ball, but I'm also here to help uh, promote a delightful little film which is having its West Hollywood debut at Plummer Park Fiesta Hall on Saturday, April 15th at 7 p.m. The name of this award-winning film is Boys don't wear dresses. I'm just saying, some grown men wear dresses. Some senior citizens wear dresses. I've seen this little film and it really is delightful. It makes sense to me that they came for the support of the Disability Advisory Board, the Gay and Lesbian Advisory Board, the Senior Advisory Board, and I'll tell you how I lump us all together. Sometimes people are not nice to all those groups. Believe me, if you get, throw them all together, you've got me in some form or another. And I want to share a few little incidents that have happened to me in West Hollywood, because for the most part, I feel like I'm speaking to the choir here, but I know that there's more we can do as when California, San Francisco, West Hollywood speak up, often positive changes happen across the country. But things have happened to me here in West Hollywood. I've been rolling down the wheelchair with a broken leg recovering and someone approached me and said, get up out of that effing chair and walk like a man, you big sissy. Someone else drove by and said, move to Miami. So it is important that we be kind and thoughtful of all those communities. I hope to see you on April 15th at the screening of Boys Don't Wear Dresses. Thank you. Thank you, David. Mikey Friedman to be followed by Nick Horvath. Good evening. I hope you're all healthy now. When we were little kids, we sat down at the kitchen table and, to eat. And if our mom put something in front of us, she would say, try it. If you don't like it, I won't force you to eat it, but you have to try it. Well, you have put rental scooters on our table. And we've tried them. And many of us don't like them. So they should not be forced down our throats by you our moms. 
As I'm sure you're probably aware by now, scooters have been banned by popular vote in Paris. I saw some photographs of the blight they create. Just like in West Hollywood, people dump them, and they also ride them on the sidewalk, making it difficult for almost everybody. So hopefully they're going to be gone there now, just in case you want to take a vacation. Look, this has been an interesting experiment, which started two years ago. And now, two years later, whenever we walk or drive down the street, we have to avoid them everywhere. You can't even go one block without seeing at least one scooter, usually more, abandoned on the sidewalk. Talk about urban blight. Manny Rodriguez, God bless him, sent you a video yesterday clearly showing that people are still riding them on the sidewalk and nobody's doing a damn thing about it. Is this what you want for our city? Is this what you want our city to look like? All new ideas are not necessarily good ideas and it takes a big person to realize that maybe a decision they've made is not the best decision. I don't think we Hoans would fault you if you decided to ban scooters. In fact, I think a great many people would praise you and thank you. So let's be like Paris. Merci beaucoup, mon ami. Thank you, Mikey. Our next speaker is Nick Roybal, to be followed by Anthony Volan. Good evening, Mayor Schein, Mayor Pro Tem Erickson and Council. Um, I have to begin by saying I'm taken aback in all the good ways. Um, Mayor Pro Tem Erickson, by um, honoring uh, our community member who, uh, this was not what I was going to talk about, uh, but who um, honored survivors and those who haven't survived childhood abuse. And um, she said something interesting about PSAs. And, well, I've been a PSA in the community for I don't know how long now. Um, I survived childhood abuse for over 18 years. Uh, physical, mental, emotional, everything you can imagine. I wouldn't wish that on anybody in this room. Um, 37 now, and that speaks to the transformation and the power of healing and all the work that that goes into. So wasn't planning on talking about that, but I'll tie that in. Um, to on March 11th, I wrote a letter to you, Mayor Schein, and to Mayor Pretend Erickson. Um, and it was about violence in the community. Um, and how at that time, a violent incident triggered much, I argue, righteous rage within me. And I wanted to place it. So I wrote a letter. Spent a lot of time on the letter. I heard from Mayor Pratim Erickson. I didn't hear from you, Mayor Schein. Um, I have told myself so many stories in my head why I haven't heard from you um, that I've grown very cynical. I part feel betrayed by you. And then I'm just cynical. I'm like, what story are you telling yourself, Nick? Is that true? Um, I sent a copy to Councilmember Meister, because I was feeling lost and I wanted, honestly, her wisdom. I can end on that. Thank you. Nick, I, I'm sorry. I actually didn't read your letter. 
I didn't receive it. I will look back and read it and give you a response. Thank you, Nick. Anthony Vulin, and then I have citizen position slips, and then we'll move to Zoom. Hi, good evening, everyone. Um, I wasn't able to give comment um, a few meetings back on the zone text amendment regarding micro units. And if you know me, you know I'm very passionate about trying to bring micro units to our city. So um, I just wanted to say thank you for all that you have been doing to bring the, your efforts um, to understanding what micro units are and how that could bring something really beneficial to our citizens. Um, I think, you know, regarding micro units, that um, it would be wise to think of creating some type of incentive for builders to build micro units that are for sale, not just for rent. Um, wise, if you follow real estate, you understand that, you know, neighborhoods have average price per square foot um, when things are for sale. So obviously the lower the square footage, micro units, the more affordable it'll be. This could be a way to bring more affordable um, housing to some of our res residents. 80% of our residents are renters, and I don't think that's something to be proud of. I think it's something we need to work to, s to switch those numbers and to give our residents, 80% of our residents, an opportunity to build their own wealth. Because when you say 80% are renters, that's 80% of our residents are building wealth for their housing provider, not for themselves. So I'm very passionate about helping people create wealth and have stability through housing that's affordable. So micro units, I think, are one of the ways that are going to be a really, really great um, thing to look into and to keep to keep working on. But don't forget, you know, whatever you can do to incentivize uh, micro units for sale, not just for rent. Um, and then lastly, I've enjoyed being chair of the Business License Commission, and I hope to continue to serve with the city in whatever way that looks like. So thank you very much. Thank you, Anthony. We have two citizen position slips from Victor Omolchenko on item two S is in Sam and T is in Tom in support of both of those items. And now we will move to Zoom, and we have one speaker in Zoom. Our speaker on Zoom this evening for public comment is Adam Darvish. Adam, you will have two minutes. Please press star six to unmute yourself. Good, good evening. Can you hear me okay? Yes, go ahead. Oh, great. Good evening, uh, Mayor Shine and Mayor Pro Tem Erickson, Council and staff. I'm Adam Darvish speaking on behalf of my residents, speaking on behalf of uh, residents that need your follow-up. Um, I imagine that one day I will be pleased with seeing actions taken and more agenda items on safety and quality of life for residents. Uh, there are many issues that were brought forward last year, the year before, and this year. I know that my neighbors up the street from me had spoken at the last council meeting regarding Airbnb and their frustration with uh, code enforcements and and things are not happening fast enough, so they have taken hours and hours and hours and finally came to council to speak about that. Um, I feel that the agenda should, you know, should address those things and have a place for residents to feel better about follow-ups. Um, having to sell cannabis, um, myself and many people in the city, they'll leave their windows open and people next door to them smoking their patios, even in the, in the 
multi-unit apartments or condos. Um, I know that smoking has been banned, but I guess cannabis is a nature thing, but I don't myself like to smell cannabis, um, so I keep my windows closed. And I know many people do that, but some people have no choice. They live you know, above the unit uh, that's a smoker or around the unit. Um, our streets are dirty, sidewalks are dirty. We're depending on rain to come in and clean our, our streets, so hopefully that will be looked at. And I know sidewalks are not a responsibility of the city, I was told two years ago, but we should have, as a city so progressive, have a mechanism to at least clean our streets you know, twice a year and partner with residents to keep the streets clean. Again, there's several other safety concerns that have been brought forward, um, street safety and, and others with, you know, Athens leaving the containers, um, empty containers on the sidewalks, blocking access to, you know, many other things that we feel that really should have a place on the agenda to, uh, to address them. Thank, thank you, Adam. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mayor, we do have another speaker for this public comment period. Okay. Keeley Field. Keeley, you'll have two minutes. Please press star six to unmute yourself. Uh, good evening, Mayor Schein, Mayor Bertram Erickson, and esteemed uh, council members that I really admire a lot. Um, I wanted to speak uh, basically a lot. And on, related to item 4C, I know you're going to be doing appointments to boards and commissions tonight. I want to put on the record that my name has been used many times by different people in the city and coming forward and saying late survivor QV field is being retaliated against. Here's the thing. It's hard enough to come out and talk publicly about a rape and about an assault that literally, literally I have been suicidal on many, many times. Okay. I want everyone to know on public record, right? City of public record. No one is preventing me from trying to get another board and commission. I've applied for an at-large seat on Women's Advisory Board. Um, I reached out to council members. If I don't get that, that's fine. Because let me tell you, my mission is to prevent the drugging and the sexual assaults that keep occurring in the city. I know that an article that was written by Renee Solitil, who I happen to love, who's been a longtime resident of the city, there's been a lot of anger that's come forward because of one of the websites that was posted on. Well, let me tell you, I'm going to focus on the fact that women and men as far away as New York City have found that article, have found me on social media, and literally told me about what's happened to their daughters and their sons. And one, in particular, is a recent at Belmont in West Hollywood. I am literally getting pictures of police reports from people saying, what can I do next? We didn't go get a rape kit. We didn't go get a urine test. Can I... Is it, you know, with the GHB still in my daughter's hair? This is the power of getting the message out about these test my drink cards. Assaults and a drugging are happening in the city every day. What, and my goal is to prevent them. Whether I'm on a board or commission, it, it really won't stop me. Full disclosure, when I brought it to a women's advisory board two years ago, they all voted no. They were worried about the cost and how do we implement the cards. So I went to Pepe Fine, and I know John Erickson co-sponsored it. And I'm very proud that West Hollywood is the first city that has an admission in clubs. It's only the beginning. These assaults and drugging are still happening. SART needs to also be something people know that they can literally call and get a ride to the Santa Monica Rape Treatment Center. Thank you, Keely. happening every day. Thank you very much. Thank you. Mayor, we have one last number in Zoom that has her hand up ending in 5307. 
You can press star six to unmute yourself. You'll have two minutes. Hi, good evening, Mayor Schein, council members, and fellow council members. This is Lynn Russell speaking, and I'd like to speak on item 2P, the award of agreement for design services for Laurel House Artisan Residence Renovation Project. Although Page and Turnbull is an excellent firm capable of providing proper historic renovation for the Wiseman House and outbuildings, I urge the city to keep an open mind about the future use and parameters of the property. Rightfully, the future of the Linick Weissman House, AKA Laurel House, should be considered under the purview of the Historic Preservation Commission, which oversight of a, um, of a suitably uh, informed staff member rather than the Arts and Cultural Affairs Department, who have an entirely different agenda, not particularly in tune with historic preservation. With the current Art and Cultural Affairs Commission, the director guiding the program, the city is unnecessarily limiting the program from reaching its full potential in scope and service to the community. By failing to fully investigate the ongoing programs of other established historic properties in residential neighborhoods with similar logistical challenges, is it shortchanging the community of West Hollywood to whom the property was gifted? Special reconsideration of the artisan residence program is needed, which is currently described would necessarily limit the premises in activity and restoration, configuration of the house, particularly the second floor, which was a later conversion by the owner, thus altering the original floor plan and, plan and design. This is not Yaddo in Saratoga Springs, world renowned for artists and residents but it could be a microcosm of Robinson Gardens in Beverly Hills, a similar landmark. The era of West Hollywood should be observed in C2, allowing visitors and scholars an accurate picture of history and the social events of the day. There is time during the restoration work to work out all thank the details. You, thank you, Lynn, your time is up, thank you. The right thing to do so, thank you so much. Thank you, that's our final speaker for public comment. Thank you. At this time, we will hear the city manager's report. City Manager Wilson, please provide us with your report. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, good evening, Mayor, Mayor Proteum, and Council members. Um, thank all the public comment commenters for your comments um, regarding uh, Brandon Blue's comments, and I apologize if I mispronounced your last name, regarding the ALPR cameras and the uh, privacy policy. We have posted the LA County's privacy policy with the staff report, and we will be talking with the LA County Sheriff's Department about their policy and um, continue those conversations. Um, and then regarding Adam Darvish's comments, um, someone will follow up with him regarding his comments related to cannabis and the street sweeping. Um, I just have a few other comments or announcements. Uh, 183 employees completed the city's uh, bystander intervention training that was offered last month by the UCLA Rape Treatment Center, which now brings the total number of employees who completed the training since the start of the program to almost 2,200, with over 131 businesses represented. Uh, the city will schedule another round of training in June. For more information, please contact 323-848-6516 or email code at weho.org. 
Um, and then there's still time to sign up for the free Los Angeles County Fire Department Community Emergency Response Team training. That's the CERT training uh, that will begin this Saturday, April 15th from 9.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, the CERT training will be held at the city's West Hollywood Park Aquatic and Recreation Center, and attendees will learn basic fire safety and life-saving skills. Uh, for more information, please contact safety at weho.org. And that concludes my comments. Thank you. Um, we're going to get to the fiscal impact on the consent calendar. Madam City Clerk, what is the fiscal impact on tonight's consent calendar? Thank you, Mayor. The fiscal impact on tonight's consent calendar with the removal of item 2H is $1,759,390 in expenditures, $0 in revenue, and $0 in waived fees. We have a motion on the floor. And the consent calendar passes. Thank you. We will now move to our first public hearing, which is item 3A, an ordinance adopting by reference Title 32, Fire Code of the Los Angeles County Code incorporating the California Fire Code 2022 edition. The public hearing is now open. Madam City Clerk, how was this hearing noticed? As required by law, Mayor. Thank you. Will the staff representative please introduce yourself and present the staff report? Sure. Uh, good evening, Mayor Shine and Council members. My name is Ben Galan. I am the Building Safety Manager. The item before you is a request to open a public hearing for the adoption of the 2023 LA County Fire Amendments to the 2022 California Fire Code. Every three years, the state adopts new building codes. Because our city is serviced by the County of Los Angeles, West Hollywood also adopts their building and fire code amendments. These amendments help provide consistency in code language and interpretation throughout the county. Traditionally, the Board of Supervisors adopts all its amendments together. On November 15th, 2022, the Board formally adopted its amendments with the exception of the fire code amendments. This code cycle, the county delayed adoption of the fire amendments because of extended hearings for revisions to some administrative provisions and adoption of a new fee schedule. The county formally adopted these amendments on January 31st and became effective on March 2nd of this year. Tonight, staff is requesting a first reading for the adoption of this ordinance, and due to the unique notice and hearing requirements for code adoption, staff will be returning to the next council meeting with another public hearing agenda item. Thank you, and I'm open for any questions. Thank you. Uh, are there any questions for my colleagues? Are there any speakers on this item? No, we do not have any speakers on this item. Okay. Um, then I'm prepared to move that we close the public hearing and move the recommendation. Great. Um, I I'll think that's... I'll second. Second. Wonderful. So the public hearing is now closed. Thank you. And just to clarify, this is an interesting one. The second reading will come back as a public hearing as well. Thank you. We will now move to our second public hearing, which is 
appeal of the Planning Commission's approval to demolish a one-story commercial building and construct a six-story mixed-use development containing 30 condominium dwelling units above 3,627 square feet of ground floor commercial space over a subterranean garage with 31 parking spaces at 8500 Santa Monica Boulevard, including consideration of proposed revisions to applicants' requested project entitlements and subdivision map in response to the appeal. The public hearing is now open. Are there any disclosures from my colleagues? Mayor Pro Tem? Um, I met with the applicant and discussed items in the staff report. Okay, Council Member Heilman? Yes, I met with uh, Lise Pastor and Ian Fishburne. I also had a uh, telephone conversation with Lynn Hoopengartner. Council Member? I met with the applicant. Thank you. Okay, Council Member. I didn't meet with the applicant or the appellant, but I did speak with members of the public. Okay, I had a conversation with um, Lynn Hoopengartner too, and I met with the uh, applicants. Madam City Clerk, how was this hearing noticed? As required by law, Mayor. Um, will the staff representative please introduce yourself and present the staff report? Mayor, if we could just have a moment, I'm going to ask our waveguide consultant to assist staff with getting their presentation going. Sure, thank you. Thanks, Olivia. Great, thank you. So good evening, Mayor <clears throat> Shine and Mayor Pro Tem Erickson and members of the City Council. My name is Doug Vu. I'm staff with the City's Current and Historic Preservation Planning Division. The item before you is an appeal of the Planning Commission's approval on October 20th, 2022 for the redevelopment of the project site located at the southwest corner of Santa Monica and La Cienega Boulevards. This approval included demolition of the existing one-story commercial building and its billboard and construction of a six-story mixed-use building containing 30 dwelling units above approximately 3,600 square feet 
of ground floor commercial space over a two-level subterranean garage with 31 parking spaces. The approval also included a vesting track map to combine the main parcel at 8500 Santa Monica Boulevard with two adjacent 10-foot wide parcels into one property and the subdivision of the 30 dwelling units into a condominium. The approved project included five units of on-site affordable housing and utilized a density bonus, concessions and waivers pursuant to the municipal code and the state density bonus law. On October 31st, 2022, an appeal was filed with the city clerk by West Hollywood resident, Alan Willian, which asserted the planning commission's approval of the project was based on technical errors, errors of fact, and inaccurate or unsupported findings. A detailed discussion of each assertion is included in the staff report, but they all pertain to four primary issues. Number one, the city violated procedural rules and due process rights related to noticing, public comment, and the provision of a staff memorandum regarding the project. Number two, it is illegal for the city to combine two lots that do not share a common border with the third lot to create the project site. Number three, the density bonus and other incentives requested under the state density bonus law are unprecedented. And finally, the city approved an application that was incomplete and did not comply with the applicable development standards. So as I mentioned, the staff report um, responds to each allegation in detail, but in summary, <clears throat> I would just like to say that the record demonstrates that the city complied with all applicable notice requirements through mailed notices to owners and applicants, posting the site, and published ads in newspapers. Furthermore, for purposes of this city council appeal, the municipal code requires the city to complete all the same noticing as when this project was heard by the planning commission. Therefore, any perceived deficiencies regarding process are thus corrected at the time the city council considers the project de novo. When a new hearing is conducted at which the city council may affirm or reverse the decision by the planning commission and considers these arguments raised on appeal. The city also maintains the conclusion that the inclusion of the two narrow strips of land as part of the project site is reasonable, supported by substantial evidence, consistent with the city's municipal code, and is legal, as confirmed by Los Angeles County Public Works staff, and also is not precluded under applicable state authority. This would not result in a dangerous precedent because the use is narrowly limited and there is sufficient evidence that would allow a reasonable person to conclude that it is compliant, as is the standard under the Housing Accountability Act. The city is required to issue a requested waiver under state density bonus law, provided the, the requested waiver is necessary to ensure the physical construction of the project. The city is also limited in its ability to deny a waiver or a concession and the burden of proof lies with the city for any denial of such request. The state law's definition of a development standard includes, but is not limited to, a height limitation, a setback requirement, a floor area ratio, an on-site open space requirement, or a parking ratio that applies to a residential development pursuant to any ordinance, general plan element, specific plan, charter, or other local condition, law, policy, resolution, or regulation. 
Therefore, it remains staff's assessment that state law was being upheld with the concessions and waivers that were previously granted by the Planning Commission, which, further, which is further supported by recent case law, guidance from the Department of Housing and Community Development, and statutory authority that state law be interpreted in a manner that affords the fullest possible weight to the interests of and the approval and a provision of housing. Lastly, the commission approved an application that was complete and it complied with the applicable development standards as described in its October 20th, 2022 staff report. So although staff continues to support the findings made by the Planning Commission, um, the applicant is requesting to modify how the state density bonus law is applied to this project by utilizing new provisions that took effect in January of this year, which no longer requires including the two narrow parcels in order to achieve the same project approved by the Planning Commission. And this is because the density bonus law now requires density to be expressed using dwelling units per acre and not floor area as previously calculated. So by developing a base project to determine the number of bonus units, the additional height and floor area necessary to provide them is now requested through a different combination of concessions and waivers. This package of modifications streamlines the project proposal by eliminating the objections raised in the appeal regarding the inclusion of the two units. So on your screen, I know it's probably difficult to, to read, but um, um, staff also issued a supplemental memo that should be um, included in council's um, packet and as well as made available to the public in hard copy form. Um, so basically this table just provides a comparison of, uh, of the, the development standards under what uh, the Planning Commission had approved compared to what is being proposed this evening as part of the modified project. Um, members of the audience may not be able to, to decipher this, but, but in essence, you know, the majority of the project remains the same. Physically, the, the, the height and massing of the building, its design, its architecture, and its land uses remain unchanged. Um, the differences between what was approved by the Planning Commission and what is being proposed here this evening um, primarily pertain to the combination of concessions and waivers that are being proposed under the state density bonus law as well as the city's municipal code. Thank you. And also, uh, one difference is also the fact that given how the affordable housing requirement is calculated, the modified project um, includes one less affordable dwelling unit than was approved by the Planning Commission. So under the Planning Commission's approval, the base project contained 22 units, and therefore 20% of that um, equaled five affordable dwelling units. But in this modified proposal, the base project only consists of 20 dwelling units, and therefore um, the 20% affordability requirement um, is equal to four dwelling units. And of those four dwelling units, three would be 
provided to very low-income households and one would be provided for moderate-income households. So based upon the materials provided in the appeal, staff does not find that evidence has been presented of any technical errors, errors of fact, or in, I'm sorry. Let me back up a little bit. So under Zoning Ordinance Chapter 19.76 that establishes the procedures for appeals, if new or different evidence is presented in the appeal, the City Council is not required to refer the matter back to the Planning Commission for further consideration and can act on the modified entitlement request. The proposed modifications do not constitute a new project because the building's design, height, envelope, and land uses, as I previously described, remain unchanged. Under the Housing Accountability Act, a housing development project that is revised such that the number of residential units or square footage of construction changes by 20% or more, exclusive of any increase resulting from the receipt of a density bonus, incentive, concession, waiver, or similar provision, including any other locally authorized program that offers additional density or other development bonuses when affordable housing is provided would be considered a new project. Therefore, it's staff's assessment that the proposed modifications do not constitute a new project. So based upon the materials provided in the appeal, staff does not find that evidence has been presented of any technical errors, errors of fact, or inadequate or unsupported findings that would justify overturning the Planning Commission's approval. Furthermore, the applicant has elected to modify the project by utilizing new provisions under the state density bonus law that would remove the two narrow parcels from the project site and not require any physical changes to the building approved by the Planning Commission. The existing project site is underutilized and represents an opportunity for redevelopment that would support more of the city's adopted goals and policies. The lack of housing is a critical problem in California and the proposal is a housing development that will assist the city in meeting its housing goals by adding 30 new residential units, including four affordable units, to the city's housing stock, helping the city achieve its regional housing needs allocation of 3,933 units before 2029. The project is also subject to the Housing Accountability Act, and the legislature requires that the Accountability Act must be interpreted and implemented to afford the fullest possible weight to the approval of housing. Finally, the project has also been analyzed and determined that it would not have a significant effect on the environment and is categorically exempt from the provisions of the California Environmental Quality Act that exempts infill development projects that meet all the specific criteria to receive this exemption. Therefore, staff recommends that the City Council deny the appeal and approve the modified project request at 8500 Santa Monica Boulevard. 
this concludes uh, staff's presentation, and I am available to answer any questions. Do my colleagues have any questions for staff? Let's begin with Councilmember Heilman. Yes, um, one question, Doug. Thank you for that report. One of the concerns that I have and that has been raised by the public is the reduction in the affordable units from five to four. And my understanding is that that's the result of changes in state law based on how um, density is calculated in a mixed-use project. Um, can you explain a little bit of, of that for members of the public who might have those same concerns? Uh, sure. So under previous um, state law and under current provisions in, our, in the city's municipal code, for projects that are located in a commercial zoning district, um, the density bonus um, that is awarded is expressed in floor area. And so for the previous project, um, the project uh, was eligible for a 46 and one quarter percent density bonus um, that equated to, I believe, 13, close to 14,000 square feet. And so um, our ordinance requires that that density bonus area has to be dedicated exclusively to to the development of additional units. Um, however, under the new provisions um, that went into effect on January 1st, um, adopted by the, by the state legislature, um, the city is no longer able to do that. Um, the law now requires that all density bonus be expressed in dwelling units. And so for for, for jurisdictions um, that don't have a dwelling units per acre allocation uh, identified either in its general plan or zoning ordinance, the provisions um, pretty much spell out a procedure or a process in order to determine um, what the base density for a project is. And a base density for, for a project is basically a, a realistic development um, given the, the um, the floor area ratio or density does, that is permitted by right. Um, that is also you know, consistent with all of the objective development standards. Um, and so for this, per for this particular project, the applicant developed a base density that um, is included as uh, attachment L to your staff report. And in that base density study, um, the number of dwelling units um, for that project is 20 units and therefore given that the project is going to provide three very low income units and one moderate income units um, the 15 percent uh, of very low income units um, enables the project to be eligible for a 50 percent density bonus um, and in this case since it has to be as expressed as dwelling units half of 20 is 10 so um, that's why the the project including the density bonus um, remains 30 percent but the the number of affordable units that is required is reduced by one. It, it, I, this isn't really a question, but more of a comment, but given that this is in our commercial zone and we don't really do dwelling units in the commercial zone, maybe that's something that we need to look at going forward. So um, it'll be a little bit easier for everyone to calculate the number of units that are required under our inclusionary policy. But thank you. Councilmember Meister. 
Thank you, and th thank you, Councilmember Heilman, for bringing that up. I think I brought that forward about three years ago to the city attorney to look at, at uh, reworking the way we do units in the mixed-use zone. Um, Doug, you said that, that the project hasn't changed. Is the residential square footage the same between the old project and the new project? Yes, the residential square footage is the same. I, I know it, it, it can appear that it's not because under the previous project, um, a certain amount of the floor area was, um, was uh, I would say, removed as part of a concession or waiver. Um, but, but if you include the, the concessions and waivers, um, the total Just square right footage of the building is the same. It's 40,235 square feet. The amount that's dedicated to commercial versus the amount that is dedicated to residential remains exactly the same. So that's the same. So can you please explain to me that if you have 30 units with the PC-approved project and 30 units with the modified proposal and you have average dwelling unit size with the PC approved project of 961 square feet, and you have 664 with the new project. How, how does that equal the same amount of square footage if it's the same number of units? So the, the 664 um, refers to the, the base project. So under attachment L, when the applicant developed the base project to, in order to establish the number of base units, um, that project had to comply with the, with the existing site's maximum FAR. And um, given that this is a commercially zoned property, you know, all of the uses on the ground floor had to be dedicated to commercial uses. And um, the upper floors were, were then allocated for residential units. units. But, but wasn't that the same with the original project, that the bottom was commercial and everything above was residential? Correct, it is the same, but, but in the project that was approved by the Planning Commission, that project also included all of the concessions and waivers for the additional height and, and floor area ratio that totaled to 40,235 square feet, but in the base project for this modified proposal, the project was limited to the floor area ratio that is limited by the project site, which I believe is 2.0. But if you look, but we're talking about an average dwelling unit size. It's either, it, it is or it isn't. <laughs> I mean, so you're, you're saying that the modified proposal has 30 units. The original proposal had 30 units. They share the same number of square footage, total square footage in residential. How is it possible that one average unit size is 961 and in another project it's 664? I don't understand. If you look at the plans, the units are exactly the same size. Yes, the, the units are the same size, which is why the the modified project is seeking a waiver to reduce that average unit size from 961 to 664. So are there going to be more units then? Okay. If you'll allow staff, I, I, I will look into this a little bit further and 
get back to you on okay, that. Okay, that would be great. Um, so, um, if this question is for, for uh, Lauren. Um, is there a is there a formula in terms of the number of concessions or waivers based on how many affordable units you get, or how what, how is that? How yes, under state law, the the number of the percentage of affordable units you provide in a project dictates how many concessions you're eligible for. There is no limit on the number of waivers that a developer can ask for. Waivers do not have a cap. Okay, so we have two concessions and two waivers in both of these projects, mm -hmm. but the number, the percentage of affordable housing is different. So we went from 17% to 13%. So does that affect the number of concessions? I think it's 20%, isn't it? 20% no. affordable? No, we have 13%, four divided by 30 units is 13%. But you calculate it based, not, not including the, the density bonus units, you cal calculate it based on the 20 units. So it's, it's four units of 20 is 20%, so the product is 20%, and that makes it eligible, and it's 15% very low, 5% moderate, and under the state law there's a chart, and that calculates how many concessions they're eligible for, which I, staff can confirm whether it's two or three, but the, it's dictated by state law. Okay, and can you explain what an objective local development standard is? Can you give me an example from our zoning code? Well, an objective standard, that term is defined in state law, and it is a quantifiable, verifiable standard that no matter how many different people look at it, they'll come to, this, this, to the same answer. There's no um, ambiguity in how it's interpreted. It is objective. Okay, so wouldn't you say that our calculation for FAR and the components that we include in that, that's been in our zoning code for, I don't know, all these years since, since state uh, density bonus started, is um, objective? I would say, generally speaking, it's something that's quantifiable. However, I believe the applicant has asked for waivers and concessions in the two oh. different versions to for more. Yeah. They did, but, yes, but, but as an objective local development standard, did the system which, we, which we say is, has to be consistent, that the project has to be consistent with our objective local development standards, we didn't necessarily have to give up that standard, did we, based on state law? I'm sorry, can you say that one more time? So according to state law, mm. a project... Uh, you know, we, we can't do anything that, um, okay, I'll just read it. The Housing Accountability Act says we cannot deny or make infeasible projects that are consistent with objective local development standards. So my question is, if we have an objective local development standard like an FAR formula, and the components of that formula, which have been the same and have been standard and no one's ever questioned before for the last, you know, 15 years or whatever it is, would you say that we could have not provided that opportunity for a waiver of that, of that objective 
local development standard. Well, but I think any standard that an applicant requests to deviate from through a concession or waiver starts as an objective standard and they ask for some sort of reduction or change in it. So that's that. the reason it's they're getting a deviation is because they've asked for a concession or waiver. The, the base math would be objective, how you, if that's your question, how you calculate FARs is a formula and that is objective. Right, I mean, to me, a formula for a calculation is probably the most objective that you can get. So I guess I don't understand how you can be consistent with an objective local development standard and change it and still be consistent with that objective local development standard. That's my question. Right, but I think asking for a deviation or something different from a standard is what's allowed for in the state law for concessions or waivers. The point is to take your standard and get something different, some sort of deviation in exchange for providing the affordable housing. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, Doug, one more question for now. Uh, the, um, one of the issues was the fact that um, apparently the landscape plans were not prepared by a licensed landscape architect uh, as part of the initial project submittal. Is that right? That is correct. So the city's development permit application requires submission of landscape plans prepared by a licensed landscape architect. If they didn't submit that, then why was their project application deemed complete? So that statement that is in, our, in the city's development permit application is not comprehensive, because if you look at the city's municipal code, um, it states that a, a landscape plan that is prepared by a licensed architect shall be submitted at the time the build, at the time the project goes through the uh, building plan check phase. Um, at the time the project is reviewed by the planning commission and entitled by, by the commission, a landscape plan is not required to be developed by a licensed landscape architect. That, Except on the application except on the development permit application. It specifically says landscape, licensed landscape architect. So like Council Member Hallman, I would say that we need to be more consistent in our language. Sure. Uh, that's for now. Thank you. Thank you, Council Member. Council Member Myers. Just one quick question. Um, the density bonus waiver denial threshold is limited, and you said we do not reach that burden of denial. Um, this is regarding the new state law implemented this January, correct? Um, the, the, the thresholds to deny a, a request for a concession or waiver has, has been part of the state density bonus law since, since the beginning. This was not something that was recently um, um, adopted or added. Okay. Thank you. That's all. Mayor Pro Tem. This isn't a transit rich area, correct? That is correct. So per new state laws, because it's in a transit rich area, the building itself could have been much bigger and denser, correct? Um, I mean, I mean, it's in a commercial corridor at La Cienega and San Monica Boulevard. Per multiple new state laws, this building could have been three times the size. Depending upon which regulations, you know, you would apply to this project, I think potentially that could be true, but... For the land use that we're going with here, do you think, and is the project 
amenable to the space that they actually submitted it to compared to what they could have actually submitted for in regards to the project right across the street that is going through the appeals process as well. What I'm trying to say is could we have another Dominion, another uh, uh, Charlie or whatever, or those, the East Side Movie Town Plaza complexes. It could have been as big as that, correct? Uh, I mean, based upon the physical size of the parcel, no. But, I mean, it would be proportional given the, the, the square footage of the project site. I mean, this project site is only a little over 9,000 square feet, um, whereas, you know, the, the projects on the east side of town are, are on a much larger parcels, so. If the city denies this project and the planning commission, or if it goes back there, and we lose in court, the applicant can come back and build as big as pretty much whatever they want, correct? In accordance with the Housing Accountability Act? Because how is this gonna work? Because you have a lot in this staff report about HAA. So it takes a lot to deny a project based on the HAA, right? What happens if the city denies this project and then we are sued and we lose, which we probably would? We, we can't answer that. We need, we need to focus on the project that we have here. I mean, I, I don't think we can speculate on what may happen. Um, but your staff report does that. So your staff report to us well, essentially insinuates that you cannot deny this project based off the Housing Accountability Act. So if you make that insinuation, you have to back it up with the claims. There, are, there are certain provisions in the state law that talk about what happens in those instances, yeah. And why wasn't that in the staff report? For the public's benefit. Because I think the problem is, is the public is concerned about this issue, right? And I won't make those comments yet, but I think that the staff report should have had more information about the Housing Accountability Act when you're assuming a lot here on the public. And I don't think that burden was rightfully placed. Okay. Um, the only thing I'll say is uh, I think that the uh, forms probably should be updated uh, so it is clear that um, at the development permit stage, the, um, the licensed architect is not required per our municipal code and then making that apparent so the public and everybody knows the correct um, procedure that would um, that would be good. Thank you. I don't really have any more questions. Everybody kind of addressed everything I was going to bring up. So at this time, uh, the appellant will now have five minutes to present their appeal to the city council. I enjoyed your comment about Mr. Williams. I know who happens to know who he is with the cardiology for dogs, and I, I strongly support it. Anyways, um, the problem here is that this is a sophisticated legal issue, and none of you are sophisticated enough to deal with it. Not Mrs. Shine, and not Mr. Hyman, and not Mrs. Langer. This is a very complex issue, but the legal aspect of it is very simple. The HHA, whatever you call it, has no bearing on this matter whatsoever. The applicant withdrew the decision. I repeat that. The staff report reads, more importantly, while city stands by its prior analysis, which is frivolous and stupid and wrong, 
describes briefly below, the project applicant has abandoned use of the non-touching strips. He says that seven times. So the a decision that was approved by the Planning Commission is dead. What I mean by dead, it is dead. It's a nullity, it is void. Once they withdrew the basis of the decision, the decision dies. There's also another comment here that this is a modification. It's not a modification. You can't revive a dead issue. If you read your own rules, which is 1976.03 and 04, it makes it clear that the item that you want to talk about has to be in the record. It's not in the record. This is a brand new project that they're trying to incorporate here because they lost. They're trying to make something out of nothing. And if you take a look at 1976.030, no further action or proceedings shall occur in reliance on the decision except as allowed by the outcome of the appeal. So you got two choices, reverse or deny. And in this case, you must grant the appeal and reverse because a matter of law. It's not even a question. It's a matter of law. It's a jurisdictional matter. It's a matter of power. It's a matter of right. The bottom line is there's no legal basis to grant this particular matter once the decision was set aside. Now, if you also go further, they talk about um, the, uh, the issue of, um, see, what I'm trying to get to is that you can't modify this. It's not modifiable. It's not in the record. It's got to be in the record. It's not in the record. They're incorporating. This is a brand new project which they want to do. And I don't care if they do a brand new project after it goes back down to the Planning Commission. I don't care about that. Uh, that's not my concern. My concern is the legality of an incredibly stupid ruling that two non-contiguous lots is adjoining when every case law in the United States says they're not. And the argument that they could approve it based because they're near to each other, which means that 8500 and City Hall are adjoining. And the problem with of this, if you don't reverse this immediately, is that the next Yahoo developer who comes around who wants to get rich in WeHo is going to try to do this. He's going to ram it down your throat, and you're going to argue, Prescient, we got screwed. Well, you can avoid getting screwed by setting the stupid approval aside, because it's illegal. The most the last thing I want to mention before I get to the due process stuff is they quoted section 1976.04 that talks about new evidence or additional evidence. Well, there's no new evidence or additional evidence. That means if you, there's an, a problem with the fact, you can send it back for them to rehear. That's not new evidence or additional evidence. But what they do is they defrauded you because they changed the wording in the section and added words that don't belong there. So in their staff report, they say, may refer any new or different evidence or modified or updated entitlement requests. They added the word modified or updated entitlement requests. That's not in your statute. They defrauding you by adding language that doesn't belong there. It's criminal. It's illegal. The whole thing's illegal. It's all a scam. 
There's only one more thing I want to talk about, and that is due process. I know nobody wants to talk about due process in the Brown Act. I know you do, Mrs. Meister, because I know you're sophisticated. I mean, we had a lot of problems in the past on that. But in this particular case, I was prevented from speaking. And then after I was prevented from speaking, they opened up the, the, um, the floor for the applicant to speak again, even though I was prevented from speaking. And just one, 15 more seconds. And the supplemental memo that they presented, purportedly coming from Langer, was not from Langer. Langer's too smart to, to have drafted a memo like that. She's too sophisticated. And what happened was that memo was fraudulent, and it was used to defraud the Planning Commission to believing that that's a memo that they can rely on, commonly referred to as reliance of counsel. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, Mr. Mr. William, if you can actually stay up here in case there's any questions for you. I'll gladly answer all your questions. Thank you. Um, do any of my colleagues have questions for the appellant, starting with Councilmember Heilman? No. Councilmember Meister? Thank you, Councilmember Byers. Mayor Pro Tem. Yeah. You state that HAA doesn't apply here, but this is a commercial lot adding residential units. No, I'm not units. saying that. You said it at the beginning. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say anything. I don't. I didn't even mention the HAA because it's irrelevant. How? Because the legal issue is this is an appeal. This is not HAA. This is an appeal, and it's a jurisdictional issue. The moment that decision was set aside, there's no jurisdiction to hear anything else. Now, the HAA, whatever it's called, it can apply when, when it goes back down to the, to the Planning Commission. They can refile. In fact, I'm shocked they haven't refiled. In fact, I was stunned they even filed this stupid application when they could have gone to the Planning Commission originally. I'm not trying to stop a development. I'm just trying to stop this illegal, non-contiguous situation and now this appeal issue. If they were smart tomorrow, they ought to go to the Planning Commission and say, we want to file under HHA, and who, I'm not going to stop them. No one's going to stop them because it's the law, unless there's a problem there. The problem here is the non-contiguous lots issue and the disastrous effect it could have on WeHill, because I know what's, what's coming, if that, if that stands. You know, and so the bottom line is, yes, I don't care about HHA or whatever it's called, they, they, they go to the Planning Commission, it's fine with me. I want you to understand, I'm not trying to stop a project here. I don't care what they build as long as it's legal. I'm trying to stop non-contiguous lots as a precedent, and when they abandoned it, they abandoned the arguments of that. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to be hard about it. I just want, I don't want, I've seen precedent destroyed in the city before. And this is, the, this, is a, this is the worst one of all. I've never seen one as bad. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Uh, and now the... Uh, okay, we will now have the uh, applicant. Uh, we'll get five minutes and 15 seconds, ma making sure it's equal to Mr. Williams' uh, portion. Um, thank you. Before you start our time, can we bring up um, the presentation for this matter? Okay. Thank you. Uh, good evening, um, Mayor, Mayor Pro Tem, and Council Members. My name is Elisa Pastor. I'm here on behalf of the applicant. I'm going to turn it over first to our, um, our architect, who's going to walk you through the project quickly.
you'll just have to you'll just have to tell us when you want us to go to the next slide. Right, just tell us. Just go to the next slide. Yeah, just go to the next slide. Good evening, uh, Mayor Shine, City Council members. My name is Patrick Ty, architect. It's a privilege to be here tonight, and thank you for the opportunity. I'd also like to thank planning staff for all their help over the past few years to get us to this point. Uh, the new six-story, excuse me, yeah, <clears throat> the new six-story building we built at the prominent corner of La Cienega and Santa Monica Boulevard. Uh, the shape of the lot is peculiar and challenging. And after many iterations and working closely with planning staff, neighborhood groups, and the planning commission, we've been able to make the site work to accommodate much needed housing. 30 new residences will be provided, four of which will be designated affordable. The following diagrams demonstrate the composition of the building. The slide shows the overall massing on the site, a 15-foot easement on La Cienega, two levels of parking. The building is pulled back 10 feet at the west. Commercial spaces are located at the ground level. A void is introduced to break up the massing and for circulation. The affordable bonus allows for additional height. More articulation and modulation is provided to further enhance the massing. Common open space and green areas are provided. <clears throat> the building reads as two distinct masses separated by an outdoor open space. The fenestration of the building on the west is a pattern of alternating voids. At La Cienega, the elevation plays with the idea of layering of transparency from metal panels and louvered screens to large expanses of glass. The entry for the residence is celebrated with a trellis structure to lead one into the building. The pedestrian experience is enhanced along the boulevard. The site plan shows the peculiar footprint. The building is organized around the central outdoor circulation core. These are the plans of the building. Uh, the building is highly sustainable. It'll be lead equivalent, exceeding the requirements of Cal Green and the WeHo Green Building Program. The elevations are varied and respond to various site conditions. Uh, our landscape architect, Studio Gray Green, has developed a landscape design that consists of generous green areas provided at ground, second, and roof levels. And to conclude, a few more views. In short, our proposal is a straightforward building that is defined by its site a timeless expression that uses the finest building materials with great attention to detail and will be built to the highest standard. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. Um, I just want to address some of the issues that were raised by the appellant. Staff has done a nice job in the staff report and here tonight on dealing with them. Um, the first one is we have not withdrawn our application from the Planning Commission. We have not abandoned our application, nor is there any law um, that would mandate that we do so or that requires that we do so. You know, I think the opponents are misguided about the City Council's authority to act on appeal. This is a de novo hearing. That means that you hear all evidence in the record and any new evidence. The West Hollywood Municipal Code contemplated that this body can hear new or different evidence. Your options on appeal are not to simply approve or deny. You can approve in part or deny in part. That means that they contemplated, as is, is, is a normal thing with an appeal, right? Somebody raises an issue, that project applicant has an opportunity to respond to that issue. This council under the code has the authority to impose new or different conditions. This is actually exactly what should happen in the appeal process, right? Someone should raise a concern, there should be a response to it, 
and then we should move on with our lives. And that's what we've done here, right? So there, has, there was concern that about the two non-contiguous parcels. We said, okay, we don't need those for any required development standard, and so we took them out. We're not saying that we think the Planning Commission erred in any way. We, but we said, okay, we can give this up because it protects the city, it protects the community, and it protects the project, and that was important to us. Um, I'm happy to answer any questions about concessions and waivers. <laughs> I can talk about the density bonus all day long. Um, with regards to the landscaping, if you actually look very carefully at the language in the site plan checklist, and I think it's a great idea to make sure it you know, conforms to the code, what it says is that the landscape plan should be um, prepared by a design professional. And so our landscape plan is actually stamped by our licensed architect, and we actually have been also working with the landscape, uh, uh, an art, landscape architect, excuse me. Um, I'm gonna answer questions. We submitted a pretty extensive letter that uh, responds to the appeal points. I also submitted a letter today that's at the front and is um, before you that talks about the procedure. Thank you, I actually have a question uh, for you. Uh, the uh, affordable housing crisis is a really big deal in our city. And um, uh, we really value as uh, the creation of as many affordable housing units. We have a very long list of folks trying to get into affordable housing. Would you be willing to uh, bump the affordable housing back to five? I know a lot of my colleagues have brought this up and I understand you're not under an obligation to do so. However, since the original project was uh, five affordable units and you're now before us, uh, I'd like to ask if you're willing to um, do that tonight. So yes, we are not obligated, and because the base density, again, we are providing 20% of the base density. Um, if it's the difference between approval tonight and not approval tonight, yes, I think we would, um, with the um, caveat that that would be a moderate income unit, not a very low or low income unit, and that's um, how it was at the Planning Commission. Okay. So I think that we would be willing to volunteer that in the interest of helping the city. Thank you so much. Uh, Council Member Meister. Hi, I, I'm, um, I guess I'm gonna ask you the question that I asked Doug. So can you explain to me how the unit size, average unit size went from 961 to 664? Yeah, so, and I know it's confusing. So the average unit size in the Planning Commission approved project is 961. The average unit size in the project before you tonight, which is the same project, is 961. Under the new state density bonus law, not only does it say you have to express the density bonus in units, it, the legislature said, oh wait, we know there's jurisdictions out there like West Hollywood who don't have a density standard. They only have FAR standards. And so you have to figure out a way to apply the density bonus for density and then any other concessions. So what the statute says is, Okay, so the developer um, creates a base project. And that base project is the project if you were to build based on the standards today. So for us, that would be a two to one FAR. We'd have to comply with the 45 foot height requirement, the setback requirement, all those things. So our architect developed that project and it had 20 units, which was sort of a reasonable 
project for what could really be built there. Because of also the language in the state density bonus law, this new law, we have to ask for a concession. And it's not a concession based on what happened at the Planning Commission. It's a concession as between the base project and the project that's before you tonight. So don't get confused by what happened at the Planning Commission as it relates to average unit size, because that's irrelevant. So that's, that's why. There's Does that answer your question? So the average unit size is based on the base project, but in reality, the average unit size will be 900 and something per unit. Right, just like any other development standard. Okay. Um, I have a question about the, um, the cost analysis. So was the cost analysis, uh, the cost benefit analysis, uh, based on the PC approved project or the new, pro or the new project? It was based on the modified project. Okay. But it's, it, the, the costs really are basically the same. Like, in fact, because the only change, right, is that the, that the non-contiguous parcels are not included, and so those were going to be like a dog park, right? So the new project is actually less expensive, or the updated project. It's not a new project. So... I guess my question is, you have a wall on the northern corner. Mm -hmm. It looks like a tall wall mm -hmm. where um, I guess it's possible that it will become an art, a mural. Um, I'm just wondering, doesn't it make sense that those units, if they had terraces and windows, that maybe they would be worth more? Because I don't think that our arts program requires a, a tall wall mural. I assume it's like 3% or something like that of what the project. It's 1%. 1% of what the project costs. So, I mean, that could be done with a, with a sculpture or something. Um, I, I guess I don't understand the point of that blank I mean, big we're based, wall. Excuse me. Um, we are right. We are reserving the right to come back at a future time if the billboard regulations change. If we decide to do public art there, right? We're we're not sure what's going to happen there at this point. Um, so we wanted to make it clear that we may come back for something in the future, but at that time it's speculative, and I don't think it would change much in terms of the rent that you could get. Because the, the units on that side of the building still have a lot of light and air. And I could have Patrick come up and speak more to that if you'd like. Yeah, I, I was just looking at the cost, thinking about the cost, that, that it could provide, uh, you know, higher revenue if, if there were actually views, their views to the hills um, in that direction. So it would seem to me that it would be... Uh, a smart economic decision, especially since billboards are not are not legal on Santa Monica Boulevard. So, um, I just want to see if there's anything else right now. Uh, in terms of permeability, because all of the permeability was in the dog park area, so is there any? I mean, I'm just thinking about our climate action plan. Mm -hmm. Is with, with all of the open space on the roof, which, as you know, is, 
it's supposed to be only a maximum of 40%. Mm -hmm. and, and I guess it's a waiver that's allowing you to have that open space all on the roof. Um, how are we meeting any kind of permeability goals? Um, the code contemplates that you may have a building like this, right, that is a dense infill site. And so there are actually, um, I can pull the code, and if you want me on rebuttal, I can talk about it. Um, there is a specific exception for these types of buildings, and we do meet the permeability requirements. And okay. staff may be able to give you more detail on that. Okay, and then one last question. So if we were to... Um, if we were to approve in part the appeal to remove the idea of contiguous lots not being next to each other um, and uh, defining how we come up with FAR as the calculation that is in our code, mm -hmm. um, would you be opposed to that? I mean, if that's the council's pleasure, I don't think so. If, you know, to the extent I hear um, the appellant that he's very concerned about precedent. Um, and, and I am too. Yes, and you as well. And I, I don't believe this creates precedent because for a couple reasons. One, because, you know, it's a quasi-judicial hearing. It would be, you would consider any new application on its facts. Um, so I, and for a housing project like this, because of the Housing Accountability Act's mandates, it, precedent is kind of a non-issue. Um, but if that's the council's pleasure, again, we don't think there was anything done wrong. If that's the council's pleasure, that's fine. Um, with respect to the FAR, I, again, I think it's a non-issue for this project because we're using the city's definition of FAR. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Council Member Heilman. I have no question. Council Member Byers? No question, thank you. Mayor Pro Tem? Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, we are going to receive public testimony from any persons in the audience who wish to speak on this matter. Each person may address the City Council for a maximum of two minutes, and if you haven't already, please submit your speaker slip to the City Clerk. Thank you, Mayor. Yes. We will start with our um, public testimony in chambers, beginning with Lynn Hoopengarner, to be followed by Amy Zvee. Thank you, Lynn Hoopengarner, City of West Hollywood. I'm going to speak as fast as I possibly can for my two minutes. Um, one, the FAR issue is not that a a quantity of the FAR was waived. It is the fact that Planning Commission approved the change in the definition, excluding the circulation area from the definition of the FAR, and not specifically asking for a percentage of square footage of the FAR to be waived. And that is the issue in the application. Okay, and that is the issue that should be granted because that is a categorical change in the actual code. It's not a waiver of a particular amount in the code. That's at point number one. Um, my question is also, in the absence of this appeal, would the applicant be allowed to take the January 1 new code from the state, change the 
reduce the affordable housing and submit a new project without this appeal. If this appeal had not happened, what would be the process for the applicant to come back and change the project to reduce the affordable housing? I think that's an important question to ask yourselves um, because this application was filed on October 31st. Normal process is that these come to council within a month or two. Instead, it's been five months, which has allowed the applicant to completely redesign their project to squeeze in through that new code. And um, I do thank staff for finally giving us the side-by-side -side comparison. My question is, why wasn't that in the original staff report? It shows at least nine substantive changes, which in my mind makes this a new project. Um, I think Councilmember Meister has a good point. And as a minimum, the, uh, the appeal should be granted on point one, the parcels, and on part two, the FAR, because those are the, those are the precedents that really matter here. And I agree with the applicant. The building's gonna be built. Let's try and make it a good building. Let's try and get as much affordable housing out of it, and let's not start setting these precedents. Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. Amy's V to be followed by Steve Martin. Uh, good evening. My name's Amy B. I'm the president of the HOA of West, Hall uh, of West Knoll Condominiums. We are 500 feet uh, from the proposed development site, and I've been a resident of West Hollywood for 25 years. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't express my disappointment with the process concerning 8500 Santa Monica. I've sat in on hours of planning commission meetings regarding this project, as well as the project across the street at 8555. And what it continues to feel like is utter exhaustion on behalf of the Planning Commission to the point that they've been beaten into submission. If you've listened to any of the meetings, it's, it's painful. Um, in fact, I recall in the last meeting, uh, one of the members of the Planning Commission saying, well, I don't love this project, but I feel like I don't have a choice um, except for to vote for it. And to that I say, listen to your gut, it's usually right. Tonight, we've heard a lot of the terms used, concessions and waivers. Creating loopholes is a slippery slope. With each pending project, a small loophole can quickly become canon. Just look at what's happening to women's rights across the country. How can I make that comparison? Easily. It's the chipping away that creates precedent, no matter if we're talking about development, real estate, or even women's rights. So I ask city council, is slamming a development project in just to get it off our collective plates the best way to handle this one? I ask city council to look closely at the facts. Do the positives of the project outweigh the negatives? And more importantly, does creating precedent in order to build it make way for even more chipping away in the city's future? Listen to your gut. Thank you so much. Thank you, Amy. Our next speaker is Steve Martin to be followed by Rick Watts. Steve Martin, West Hollywood. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of interesting precedent here that's not good, uh, but that doesn't mean this project can't get built and won't be built. But we need to make sure that a process that has integrity is maintained. 
what we have here is not new evidence. What we have here is a new project based on new law. And there really needs to be a process for the public to be heard and for staff to analyze it and the commission to analyze it rather than for it to be brought up here. I, I would not call this group unsophisticated, perhaps overworked, but you know the, the, the proper place for this to be looked at is the planning commission where these a lot of changes, including the reduction of affordable housing, the permeability issues, the rooftop, which is gonna be very, you're gonna hear a lot of that from the neighbors if this gets built. Uh, but what you should do is either, well, I, I do like what, what Lauren Meister said. We've all had a real problem with this concern about the non-contiguous lots. That's what initially got, tweaked my interest. But approve that, send it back to the planning commission, and I suspect this project will come through with maybe a couple of tweaks. We'll get our housing. Uh, we're probably going to get our five affordable units, and things will be fine. But we, we just can't be intimidated uh, by the HAA, uh, the Housing Accountability Act. Uh, I know that there was a reference to the, the size of the projects uh, on the east side, the Charlie, the Huxley. Those sites were originally zoned by the city of West Hollywood for 10 stories. That was before any the state intervention. They weren't developed larger because it didn't pencil out. And I, I appreciate your concern, <laughs> Mayor Pro Tem, I appreciate your concern about having a horrible site there, but it's just not gonna get financed. So um, those are my thoughts. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Our next speaker is Rick Watts, to be followed by Kathy Blavis. Evening Council, Rick Watts, City of West Hollywood. Uh, I'd like to echo what uh, Amy and, uh, uh, and Steve just said about uh, the, the perils uh, to process uh, by creating new, uh, new precedents, by just chipping away at things. Um, uh, Councilmember Heilman may, and I think Councilmember Meister, I, th I think also remember Back several years ago, we ran into this um, with uh, uh, with short-term rentals um, suddenly being defined as uh, something other than what was originally envisioned, and all of a sudden we have a project up on the on Sunset Boulevard that was never it was never anticipated to be anything other than a hotel and long-term housing uh, suddenly um, being a, a hybrid. Of short-term housing, which it's it's the camel's nose under the tent. So I, I think you really need to, to to go through the process rather than amend, rather than amending the process to fit to uh, to to fit the project. I, I, I agree with Steve. I think this would probably, uh, in some way, shape, or form, eventually be developed uh, be approved anyway. But it needs to go through the appropriate process. The other thing uh, thing that I uh, I, I'm, maybe this has already been addressed previously, but uh, a big concern to me uh, as uh, we go through time and look towards when uh, a metro rail line hopefully extends under Santa Monica Boulevard, that whatever ends up on this, that entire intersection, I believe that that intersection is contemplated as a, a potential uh, subway stop, and we need to not do anything that's going to interfere with that, or at least whatever projects do get approved 
need to take that into consideration so that that can, be, can happen when the time comes. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Our final speaker in chambers is Kathy Blavis. Hi, good evening, Kathy Blavis, City of West Hollywood. Um, I certainly have nothing technical to add to the comments made by the other members of the public. They're far more uh, knowledgeable of this and f far more eloquent with regard to everything discussed. I, I just want to say from the point of view that it's a shame, and it's a shame that in order to get the most affordable housing that is due, it has to come through an appeal, and it has to come as a condition of going forward with this new project, the revamped project. And I guess what I'm so tired of hearing always on the news, here in chambers, everywhere, is how um, tragic our housing shortage is. What's tragic is the affordable housing, the workforce housing. There's no shortage, as I remember years ago, um, our previous council member D'Amico said, we have no shortage of luxury housing. And this will be luxury housing because market rate now is equivalent to luxury housing. So my comment isn't pro or con this particular um, project, although I do think there's a lot of relevance in what was said tonight and precedent setting. But I'm just, I, I'm, I'm sad that it has to come to something like this in order to get one more affordable unit. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Um, I'm also going to read two citizen position slips into the record before moving to the one person in Zoom. Victor Omolchenko is in support of the appeal, and Michael Haddad is in support of the appeal. And we'll now go to Zoom. Our speaker this evening on Zoom for this item is Lynn Russell. Lynn, you will have two minutes. Please press star six to unmute yourself. Uh, good evening again, Lynn Russell in West Hollywood. Um, good evening again, Mayor Shine and fellow council members. Both the appellant, Alan William, and Lynn Hoopengardner have more than fully articulated the flaws in this project and the legal jujitsu. I concur with their points and have nothing further to add other than having witnessed and experienced problematic procedural issues, not quite as egregious as this, but simply they led to disastrous consequences. Uh, others have spoken of this um, this evening, and it, I, I feel it's always better to be full-fronted so the issues can be fairly resolved, and if it requires returning to the drawing board, so be it. It is important not to set an unfortunate precedent. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lynn. Mayor, that are, those are all the public testimony we have this evening. There we go. Thank you. Um, uh, the appellant will have two minutes for rebuttal. Mr. William. Thank you. Um, 
I think there's still a problem. If you grant the appeal, which you should do, and, and wipe out the non-contiguous and the FAR, which you absolutely should do, because Lynn is correct, the question is, should it go back to the Planning Commission or not? I prefer it going back to the Planning Commission because then all the procedural rights that apply, apply. There are no rights here. This is a ram through. This is a, an attempt to claim that this is a, mo it's not a modification. It's a brand new project that is illegal because the first project died. It was, it's dead. You can't do anything with it. It's a nullity. So the only way to do a legal action, which is simple in my mind, maybe I'm sophisticated about it, I've handled 50 lawsuits with God to it, you go back to the Planning Commission and give it to them and let them approve it. Everybody in this room is saying, send it to them and let them approve it. No one's going to stop it. What we, the problem is the illegality of what you're attempting to do and what they're proposing. And, that's, and that is really the problem. It's not a modification. The term modification is a lie. There is no new evidence. There is no additional evidence. There's no conditions. None of that legally apply. What can apply is doing your job, which is granting the appeal, what, what your code says in 1976.03. That's what you got to do. And send it back to the Planning Commission. I understand that it's tough to do that and politically tough to do that, but it's legally the only thing that you can do. And once it goes back there, God bless you, let them do whatever they want to do with the Planning Commission. But what you're attempting to do is not legal with all due respect. Thank you very much for your consideration. And I also think one more thing, I think you guys need a raise. After, after sitting through this tonight, I am absolutely goddamn convinced you guys need a raise. Um, Mr. William, just before you sit down, th and thank you for that, um, do my colleagues have any uh, questions? No, you're good. Thank you. Or wait, Council Member. For Lauren. Sure. You want to wait until the. I can wait. Other rebuttal. Okay. Um, so now the applicant will have a two-minute rebuttal. Thank you. Um, we urge you not to send this back to the Planning Commission. You don't have to do so under the Municipal Code. The Municipal Code contemplates that modifications happen to projects. That's why the code is written in that way. Right? This body, I believe, you could ask your city attorney, could on your own, if we had showed up with the project with the two non-contiguous parcels, one of you could say, I want to condition it so you take those away. Right? It's the same thing. We will voluntarily provide the moderate income unit tonight. We're happy to do that. If we go back to the Planning Commission, I think we're going to stick to our guns that the base project is 20 units, and 20% of 20 is four. Housing production is slow. It's expensive. This project has been, this is a fairly straightforward project in many ways. The granting concessions and waivers as mandated by state law does not set precedent. We are not asking for concessions or waivers that are outside the law, right? So we urge you to please, um, However you want to structure the, the approval and denial with, as it relates to the appeal. Um, I think that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Any questions? 
Yes, Councilmember Meister. So, uh, where did we land on the number of affordable units? So, t tonight we will volunteer to provide one more moderate income unit. So, it would be the same as the project that was approved by the Planning Commission. Okay, thank you. Any others? Okay, uh, thank you. Uh, Councilmember Meister, do you have a question for, for the city attorney? I almost forgot it. Um, Lauren, um, I know that there's a limit on the number of uh, meetings that a project can go through um, based on the AHA uh, law, but if, a, if, a, if an applicant changes the project, that, it's not the city making that change, so you know, does that law apply? And also, I don't know how many meetings they've actually had. How many, how many meetings have, if, is it four or five or three? This evening's meeting would constitute the third. third. So there's still a possibility of two more meetings then based on, okay. Our code does not specify what constitutes a new project. I know that throughout the planning process, it is very common for applicants to change different aspects of it as it's going through the entitlement process. The state law has a threshold of 20%. If the project changes by 20%, this is in the Housing Accountability Act, um, 65589.50. Um, it says, it, it uses a 20% threshold. So if an applicant is going through the process, they got a preliminary application, they're vested in the, the rules that are in place. If they choose to change it by 20%, the state law would say you have to come back and reapply. Um, so that's a benchmark we can use. It's a, you know, an analogy we can use um, for when the state would require, would, would consider it to be a new project. Yes, it begs the question, has the project changed more than 20%? asking staff. Well, I can read the statute because it says a housing development is revised following submittal of a preliminary application such that the number of residential units or square footage of construction changes by 20% or more, exclusive of any increase that results from the density bonus incentive concessions waivers or similar provisions. That's correct. The answer is no. Okay. Um, I have a question for the city attorney as well. Can you um, uh, address the precedent issue and what, uh, what your guidance is and how you come up with that, please? Sure. Um, couple things. First of all, in the appeal ordinance, it does say that once an appeal is filed, an action of the Planning Commission appealed to the City Council shall not become effective unless and until final action by Council. So the Planning Commission's resolution is not a final action. It has been appealed, so the matter is now before you. So any concern that the Planning Commission's ruling on the contiguous lots, that's never going to be a final adopted resolution on this project because it's now up on appeal. Um, to the end, because the applicant, and I actually want to say one other thing, the product hasn't been changed. The, the applicant is asking for your permission to change the project as part of this appeal and would be um, uh, memorialized in a resolution if you adopt one tonight. So um, it's, because the applicant is requesting those changes, the at the original waiver on the FAR, which was changing the definition of how FAR is calculated, 
and the contiguous parcels are no longer part of the request and so your resolution would not be memorializing i suppose approval or stamping approved those those two specific aspects of the project with respect to precedent i hear what everybody's saying and it's a concern that if something has come through before people say someone can do it again but every land use application is reviewed in a quasi-judicial hearing based on the evidence and the facts and the specifics of that particular project. So you can't say because something was approved in one particular project, it's automatically gonna be, be approved some hypothetical project down the line um, because each land use application is reviewed based on the evidence before the decision maker at that time, the facts and circumstances. Um, if you want to include some sort of language to, to make it clear that those elements are not precedent setting just as for the record so future applicants in the future might realize that i think we could probably come up with with some language to include in a resolution to make that abundantly clear to future applicants but i don't think because the planning commission ruled a certain way that years from now people can rely on that because it's not an adopted resolution anymore sure but uh lauren so if if we approve the appeal in part specifically about those two items, that would, that would be the language, right? I mean, we, we are sending a message then to staff, et cetera, that that is not something that we want to see happen again. Yeah, I think you could articulate it in a way. I mean, if, if you find legal error in the Planning Commission's decision, that's, a, that's what approving the appeal would be. So I think, that, I think there's some way to find language to make clear what the council's message is. Um, I, I'm not sure if you find legal error and we haven't heard your deliberation yet. So I don't know exactly where the council members are, are landing all of that, but I think, we can, I think we can address it in a resolution, make clear what you wanna communicate. Thank you, are there any more questions from my other colleagues? No? Okay, then at this time, I will now close the public testimony portion of this public hearing. We will now move on to city council deliberations. Would any of my colleagues like to begin the discussion? Councilmember Heilman? Sure. Well, first, I'd like to thank everyone who came out, the applicant and the uh, appellant who came out and all the other speakers. Um, as I review the appeal, um, there are changes that have been made from the project that was approved at the Planning Commission, and that's fairly common. I have observed that on numerous occasions where a project was approved at the Planning Commission and then appealed, and during the appeal process, the applicant may have reached an agreement with neighbors or has made a change. And by the time it comes to the council, certain changes have been made. So the fact that the applicant here has made changes or has proposed changes is not uh, surprising to me. Um, secondly, I don't believe this is a new project that has to be refiled. When I look at the project, it's essentially the same size, the same number of units that were approved at the Planning Commission. After some discussion, we got to the point that the unit sizes are the same as was approved at the Planning Commission. 
and with the concession that's been made tonight, it will be the same number of affordable units that were approved at the Planning Commission. So I don't view this as a new project. There were changes in state law uh, that the applicant took advantage of, which they're perfectly entitled to do under state law. One of the speakers um, talked about loopholes, but in fact, the concessions uh, and waivers are not loopholes. They're set forth in state law, and applicants who are providing affordable units are entitled to those under state law. So that's something where the city does not have any discretion with respect to those uh, waivers and concessions. As I look at the project, and you know, I live very close to it as well, there are certain aspects of it that if I were designing, I might have done it a little differently. But in terms of a project that's providing housing for the community, it's a relatively modest project, 30 units of housing with five units that are affordable. Uh, it's a very attractive design overall. I don't really see any reason for denying the, the project. Um, so I'm in favor of, of denying the appeal, approving the project as it's been modified, um, and with the concession that there be a fifth affordable unit. So that's where I'm at. Thank you. Thank you, um, Council Member Meister. Uh, yeah, I, um, you know, I agree that the project looks pretty much the same as before, except without the two uh, issues uh, in particular that I was very, very concerned about. So I, I would still like us to consider approving uh, the um, the appeal in part just with respect to the. Um, uh, the contiguous parcels and the definition of FAR, um, or at least have very strong language in the resolution that that uh, makes that very clear. Thank you, um, Councilmember Byers. Thank you. Um, I'm also uh, based on everything Councilmember Heilman said and more. I'm really excited to see this moving forward tonight. Um, I think we should take it as a point of pride too that this is able to move through on the um, no more than five meetings as part of a housing process. It's not often that that can happen and I think it's a great thing that this was able to comply with state code, uh, not be changed more than 20% um, and come through to us tonight um, rather than uh, approving the appeal, which I think, as our city attorney stated, would indicate some illegality of process. Um, I would be in support of adding that language to the resolution upon passage of this decision tonight. Mayor Pro Tem. Thank you so much, uh, Mayor. I want to thank all the members of the public that came out. Um, I, too, am in, in agreement. Um, I am fine with adding language to the resolution. I am not uh, comfortable with um, accepting part of the appeal. I just don't see it there. Um, I understand your concern, though, on that. Um, and I think that getting a concession here for another unit, and then when I'm looking at the entire projects, both of them side by side, we are, to what Councilmember Heilman said, seeing very 
identical projects in many ways. Um, I sat on the planning commission right next to Min this Hubengardner, and many times people would come up and do very similar things, and then even I on this council now, people would ask for modifications like Councilmember Heilman said then. We didn't stop it then. I actually would be worried about stopping it now and that precedent being set for that side. You can talk about precedent on one end of the spectrum, but there is a recourse on the other, and that recourse on the other, I think, is more detrimental to housing goals than it is to the actual precedent, which I'm not worried about for the reasons also stated um, occurring. So I am in favor of denying the appeal and approving staff's recommendation, as well as the modification that our mayor asked for um, of the fifth affordable housing unit, um, and that's where I'm at. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you. Um, well, I want to thank uh, the appellant, uh, the applicant, uh, all members of the public who gave input, and staff, and our city attorney for clarifying the precedent issues. Um, this was uh, all the answers that were given to us uh, provided a lot of clarity that was certainly missing, um, and I'm satisfied with that. I want to thank the uh, applicant for agreeing to the concession of the um, extra moderate unit, which really gives us the higher affordable uh, units that we so need in our city. Um, I am... I'm, I don't see any legal errors, uh, a legal basis for us to deny or to grant the appeal. So I am also in favor of denying the appeal um, with the uh, concession of the extra moderate unit, bringing that affordable housing to five. Um, I, I would actually like to um, have the language um, added tonight to address Council Member Meister's um, issues. Can can you come up with that um, uh, while we, yeah. One of the things that I, I was going to suggest that we include language that says, as modified, this project does not include non-contiguous lots, and therefore it should not be viewed as any precedent with respect to that issue. Yeah. And also no change to the definition of FAR. Yes. And, yeah. yeah. The, the two items. Okay. Excellent. Um, so I'll accept that. And yes, city attorney. So we could add that language. We could add that language to the end of section 12. Um, and then for condition 2.1 and 3.1, make reference to the four affordable units. So we would revise them to say five on-site affordable units consisting of three very low-income and two moderate-income units. And the same language would be added to condition 3.1. Is there anything else that Jennifer or Doug thinks need to be changed? Those are the two sections I found. Can we say that any instance where we refer to four affordable housing units would be changed to five with the breakdown of three very low income units and two moderate income units. Yes. I'm sorry? That's what she said. Three very low. Three two very low, two moderate. And that way, if we missed one reference, we can make that change. Very good. With that change, I'll make the motion. I'll second it. Push your buttons. And does the motion include closing the public hearing? Yes. Thank you. 
I thought we closed it already. <laughs> we closed public testimony, and now we're closing the public hearing. Thank you, Melinda. Thank you. It's, uh, it's not going here. So I'll go ahead and. Are the buttons not working? So I'll go ahead. I got it. Okay. Thank you. Uh, record. Start voting. Thank you very much. At this time, we're going to take a 10-minute break and then resume.
Please return to your seats. We are now moving to unfinished business um, to 4A City of West Hollywood Historical Context Study. Um, can we get a very brief presentation from staff? Good evening, Mayor, Mayor Pro Tem, Council Members. My name is Andy Lovano. I'm the Community and Legislative Affairs Manager for the City of West Hollywood. I'm here with Jasmine Duckworth, who is the Community Programs Coordinator. And our Director, Yvonne Corker, is joining us via Zoom. So uh, in December 2021, the City Council directed staff to prepare and issue a request for proposals to complete a historical context study of the City of West Hollywood. In January 2022, the Council authorized the release of the RFP, and in May 2022, the Agreement for Services with the Architectural Resources Group was approved. The study is presented tonight to the City Council and to the community, and will later be presented to the Social Justice Advisory Board once that body is in place. And we have with us now the consultants from ARG who will provide a brief, abridged overview of the report for you and the community. Thank you. Good evening, my name is Alicia Paluchek. I'm Architectural Historian and Preservation Planner with ARG. I will give you a very brief overview. I can't hear you. Yeah, is your mic on? It should be on. Can you hear me better now? Yes, yes that's better. Thank, Thank you. you, sorry about that. Um, my name is Alicia Paluchek, and I'm an Architectural Historian and Preservation Planner with ARG, and I'll be giving a very brief overview of the findings of the historical context study. Uh, next slide, please. Um, so I'll start with a short project overview and then discuss the findings of the study. Next slide. Um, the project kicked off last April. Research and community outreach were conducted in the spring, overlapping with the completion of the draft. Um, we conducted extensive primary and secondary source research on not only West Hollywood specifically, but also the broader trends of racism and discrimination in the 20th century that would have affected those living or working in West Hollywood. Um, as part of the project, we completed community outreach in the form of two listening sessions to inform the public about the project and solicit feedback. We also created a public comment form that the city hosted on its website to solicit feedback as well if residents wanted to do so. Next slide, please. The purpose of the project was completed, uh, um, excuse me, the project was completed as part of a broader effort to ensure racial and cultural equity in West Hollywood. Uh, it was to gain a better understanding of racial and cultural discrimination when, in what is now West Hollywood from the 19th century to the present day. Other aspects of the project included tracing West Hollywood's demographics through time and laying out how these trends have shaped West Hollywood. Next slide, please. I'll continue with a very brief summary of our findings. Next slide. The study focuses on both discrimination and racism in the 20th century. We also discussed demographic trends in what would become the city of West Hollywood and mapped demographics using census data, which was available beginning in 1940. We covered both public and private sector discrimination, including the effects of federal, state, and local discriminatory legislation, as well as discrimination in real estate, business, and housing. 
We also discussed the ways in which discrimination and racism were addressed over the course of the century through the civil rights movements and legislation. Lastly, we covered the ways that West Hollywood has taken action against discrimination since cityhood. Next slide, please. Um, one of the complications that we quickly ran into was a lack of concrete evidence about discrimination in the historical record. Um, there were a few exceptions to this, and we noted those when we could, but there were not many. Um, this was not entirely surprising because we had to rely on primary sources, such as newspaper records, which did not typically report instances of discrimination, or if they did so, it was in a way that was not always obvious. <clears throat> Therefore, we focused on general trends and policies that would have likely affected those living and working in West Hollywood based on what we know about its history and its demographics. This changed, of course, as the century progressed and following the civil rights movements. Instances of discrimination are reported more frequent, frequently, excuse me, and we were able to document it more reliably as the century progressed. Next slide, please. Lastly, the study is intended to document what happened in the past in order to inform future actions. It does not provide any recommendations, but will inform the city's next steps to establish initiatives that will address racial, cultural, and social equity. It also complements recommendations put forth by the Social Justice Task Force. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. We're here okay, great. Um, are there any questions for staff at all? Okay, are there any public comments on this? Yes, Mayor, we have two individuals in chambers and one person in Zoom. Okay, thank okay. you. Okay, so we'll start in chambers with Nick Roybal to be followed by Gerard Wright. Again, Mayor Schein, Mayor Pro Tem Erickson and Council. Thank you for all of your work. I think this is a very a uh, good step at diving in, right? We're diving in, and now we need to fill in. I've already read this three times. Um, thank you for the copy that the city has given me. January 16th, 1985, Councilmember Heilman, you were on the council. It was around 2 a.m. in the morning on Sunset Boulevard. There was a person walking down the street, two sheriffs approached this person. This person was identified as a man who wore a wig, who wore makeup, who had a purse. The sheriff said, hey, what are you doing? The person didn't like being harassed, reached for a can of hairspray to show them all they had was a can of hairspray. The deputy pulled out a gun, shot him in the abdomen, dead. That person was trans. January 16th, 1985. Councilmember Hellman, you might remember the story. You were interviewed along with the then mayor, Valerie, before she was federally indicted for stealing money that was supposed to be used for homeless and poor people from crossroads. So this history of violence against the most vulnerable of our community has been taking place since the founding of the city, and it continues to this day. So I'm here looking at the through line. So that's why I said when we were just diving in, 
And this person, by the way, went unnamed for years. Nobody's ever talked about this trans person. I will just say their first name is John, but I think that was their birth name, so I don't want to speak out of turn. Um, but we owe it to ourselves to know this history. And this is through the LA Times. Uh, and it's actually one of your sources I highlighted. Uh, Stephen Braun, who wrote about the LA Times, uh, the city during those three years, the founding of the city, 84 to like 87. Uh, thank you, um, Nick. Can you finish it. up in 10 seconds? Yep, that's thank it. You. Thank, thank you again. Thank you. For the, yeah. thank you. Thank you, Nick. Our next speaker is Gerard Wright. Good evening, uh, council members. Thank you, Mayor uh, Shine, for the opportunity to speak. I'm Gerard Wright, the Government Affairs Director with the Greater LA Realtors, a growing 13,000 member real estate trade organization that covers the cities of LA, Beverly Hills, Culver City, Santa Monica, and West Hollywood. And I'm going to use the next 90 seconds to say thank you for the time and resources put into the study and the opportunity to come before you tonight. I want to start by acknowledging the study's findings about the ugly role the real estate industry played in LA's region's uh, history of discrimination. Confronting that history and taking actionable steps to move forward is exactly what our industry has done. And I want to use this opportunity to speak on that. We have made great strides to becoming a more inclusive and diverse, or a diverse organization that is representative of the cities that I just mentioned. We were living that commitment with many historically marginalized communities well represented at the highest level of our organization. Our board is diverse and inclusive, which enabled us to take many productive steps towards reversing the legacy of discrimination in our region and making access to housing more equitable. At the local level, we have supported efforts to root out and outlaw discriminatory appraisals in the cities of Beverly Hills. We worked with council member, uh, 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 with the council member there too, and worked in, in conjunction with state law to make and support policies that eliminate that from entirely. And support the state's housing associations, uh, housing assistance funds, which gives down payment assistance across the state here in Los Angeles County for folks to give them the opportunity to achieve their, their dream of home ownership. I want to use the remaining time to highlight something that we heard during our, the conversations of last elections about the homelessness issue, about how we move forward, and an opportunity to really look at getting Measure H dollars, which we all supported, to get the local cities like West Hollywood, like Culver City, like Santa Monica, get their fair share so we can actually address serious issues that are at play right now that also further exacerbate discrimination. And we want to increase that housing opportunity. We want to look forward to working with the city. And thank you again for the time and opportunity to speak. Thank you, Gerard. We also have a citizen position slip for this item uh, in support of the item from Victor Omolchenko. And now we will go to Zoom. Our next speaker on this item in Zoom is Keith Kaplan. Keith, you will have two minutes. Please press star six to unmute yourself. Thank you. Council members, thank you for allowing me to speak tonight. I'm here tonight to speak on the Hollywood Historical Context Study. I believe strongly in the importance of studying and analyzing history for lessons from the past. We not only learn about ourselves and how we came to be, but also develop the ability to avoid mistakes and create better paths for our society. I'm proud to be a part of a city that recognizes back in 1984 when the concepts of inclusion and acceptance were the very core values upon which we built our foundation of cityhood. 
And through the years, we have continued to move forward in this regard to recognize and address the challenges of inclusionary and affordable housing for everyone. I am proud, too, as a real estate agent, to be part of an industry that has taken a proactive role in addressing the issues of fair housing. Organizations including GLAR and CAR have taken leading roles in legislative advocacy and on-the-ground programs to address appraisal bias, discrimination in rental housing, inclusive advertising, and more. Seminars provide realtors with important guidance on what it means to practice fair housing, to abide by the code of ethics, and to uphold realtor values. These groups even offer home buying assistance programs and legislative actions to enable realtors to advance equity in housing and securing access to equal, equal access to housing opportunities for all. We have learned from the past and there is much more work being done to correct the mistakes that have been made and move forward on the path of greater fairness and equity. At the same time, we have newer challenges in regards to housing and that is something that confronts every one of us each day as we pass the growing tent camps across our city. This is the challenge that demands our city's focus now, as well as a rather extraordinary commitment of our city's resources. I applaud the council for receiving and filing the West Hollywood Historical Context Study, recognizing and acknowledging the factual materials within and the extensive work being done to address these issues today. Thank you. Thank you, Keith. Mayor, that was our last speaker on Zoom. Thank you so much. Do, um, do my colleagues have any comments at all? Uh, Mayor, uh, Mayor Pratim. Oh, Councilmember Hyman, do you have any? Okay. I know one of my colleagues tried to move it to consent. It's because he didn't want to see the photo of himself from way back when. <laughs> but that's the only reason why I kept it. No, I'm joking. It was from behind. <laughs> and it was from the, we don't know who that who that dashing man was. But anyways, we know. Um, I, I really want to thank staff on this. I know Mayor Shine and I brought this item forward uh, a year or so ago. And it's really important evidence to have, I think, in our historical record to continue to do what we can do to what many of the public commenters were talking about, recognizing our histories, learning from them, what Nick said, understanding the pain, the trauma, the names of those that we can't go on. One thing that I always talk about in the ways that restrictive covenants and the ways that real estate classifications that were on page 45, as well as the map on page um, 15 show definite declining in most of the city, uh, but specifically in areas, um, one being hazardous, and how, where we were and where we are now, and the understanding of, I think, the duty that we have to then specifically back to on page Um, back on page 45 when we think about the ways in which our community could have been more diverse back then without even knowing it now because of the ways in which restrictive and harmful real estate redlining and and I know those actions are being corrected through many ways but the the effects that those have had I think on our community as it is um, we might not have known it now that our community could have been so diverse because many of us weren't alive back then but understanding I think that promise to the future on what we have to do right now. So I'm really excited for where this project will go and, and the staple in time for us to look back in five, 10 years to understand, did we make progress? Because 
if we're not making progress on these things, I am concerned for the future of this city um, because we're nothing. If we're, if, we, if we're stagnant, then we, we fail, I think, at the promise. So I just wanted to say that, but I, I'm really thankful to the work that you put into this as well as for my colleagues, both present and past and former and whatever, um, for supporting this item. I think it's an important historical document. Any comments? Councilmember Byers. Thank you. Um, just first, a big thank you to staff and the consultants for all the work on this. I also want to appreciate our public speakers. Nick, thank you for taking the inspiration, sharing more of the history tonight. I was also upset learning from the report that in just 2011, another trans person was killed in Plummer Park. Um, I think it's important to confront these realities and learn from our histories in order to build a stronger and more inclusive future for all. And I know this study will inspire more learning from our history, if not from the fact that you have it and you're waving it around in your hand. I think that's great. I also want to appreciate the rep from Glare tonight who um, came to show and share how you're working to correct this course of history. It would be fabulous to hear from more partners in our community about the work that they're doing in this regard. And I think having this document is an opportunity to do more of that. Um, I just also want to say I'm looking forward to the work of the Social Justice Advisory Board and furthering the recommendations that are a part of this. Thank you. Thank you. Well, my two colleagues uh, addressed a lot of the things I was going to say. Um, I'm really proud that um, Council approved the historical context study. Uh, it's really important to uh, celebrate the uh, incredible, amazing uh, achievements that West Hollywood has had. Um, and it's also really important to uh, really be real about um, the reality of redlining and the inherent racism that was caused and anti-Semitism as we see in the historical context study um, because that's a trauma that um, happened. It happened before the city of West Hollywood and it continued to never be addressed really or studied um, until this study now has brought that to the light. I so appreciate all the public commenters this evening and the work that um, the real estate industry um, is doing to uh, be a partner with us in uh, continuing to dismantle the effects of uh, racism. And um, I'm also very thankful of that and um, I would love to know how ways in which we can partner more. And it's okay to be authentic and admit when um, we were wrong in certain circumstances or that a injustice happened. Because when we admit that injustices happen, the marginalized people that were affected by that injustice have healing. And it's not a you are blamed or you, this is blamed. It's about just saying, okay, this was an injustice and now I'm so happy that the Social Justice Advisory Board exists in this city, or is going to exist soon. <laughs> They're on a little break right now. Um, so that we can continue to come up with ways in which we can uh, heal and correct injustices uh, in our incredible city and be better. So I also would love uh, this to go to the advisory board and get their input and feedback. Um, to us and thank you so much for uh, staff's work on this and our consultant. Um, I will say it, I felt, it, I'm sure that 
it's difficult to read in some ways and probably sparks up some trauma. And um, I just want to acknowledge that too. Uh, but uh, so that is it. And we can now move on to item 4B. Um, and for this, we actually do not need a, this is a William S. Hart Park site improvements. Um, we're not going to do a uh, presentation on this. I'm um, going to go straight to Council Member Byers, um, who had a um, wanted this to stay on, and maybe your uh, direction or comments. Did we need to receive and file the previous item? I think since we kept it as a business item, we should go ahead and just make a motion to clean the record clean. So okay. moved. Thank Perfect. you. Thank so. you. Thank you. Okay, 4B. Council Member Byers. Okay, so I hope I can keep this really quick and I'm very apologetic to keep staff uh, longer when most of my colleagues are ready to put this on consent. But I noticed under the phase one concept design and improvement plan features and components list, which begins on page six, um, one item that is missing there and missing from other parks too that I'm hoping to correct is a water bottle refilling station. Um, it's, there's already an accessible drinking fountain on the list which is different than a water bottle refilling station and I think we should be providing both of those resources to community and I didn't feel like I could just make that in council member comments. It had to be a full direction that would come from everybody since it's adding to the list. Everybody's nodding. Okay. That sounds Great. like we're good. Do Thank we have you. any public <laughs> comments on this item? Work. Okay, we only have a citizen position slip, but we also need to appoint two council members to a subcommittee as part of this oh. item. Oh. We didn't do Hart Park, we did Plummer Park. Mm. I'll be in. <laughs> I'm in. Be I'm before in. we do that, I had a, another question, which is um, the, the AIDS monument there, since we're doing an AIDS monument in the park, does it really make sense to have two of them? And I, I was part of the council when we had that monument and it seems like you're recommending some changes to that as part of the phase one improvements. Um, I think we're, we're looking at um, recommendations to highlight the monument if the intention is to keep the monument there. Um, of course, it's at the um, discretion of the council if they'd like to move forward without that. But we know that some of the uh, insight that we received during the process was that the monument was not highlighted enough and that it was kind of left in the background. Um, so we were looking at different options to possibly highlight the monument that was there. I don't think it makes sense to go to the cost of removing it, but uh, I think it makes sense to highlight it in some way, um, but not going over the top since we are going to have a monument here at, at West Hollywood Park. Yes, definitely. Did you read the citizen position slip? I will read it now. Uh, Victor Omolchenko is in support of the recommended item and keeping the original AIDS monument that was slated for the park. Okay, um, so are, is there another, so we have council member Byers on this subcommittee. Anybody else would like to be on this subcommittee? Uh, I'll, I'll do it with my colleague. Okay, Why Mayor Pro Tem Erickson, wonderful. 
Okay, so we now have a Hart Park subcommittee. Excellent. And we have a motion on the floor from Council Member Heilman. And a second. So and the motion passes. Excellent, so uh, thank you very much. And uh, we're gonna move to item 4C, which is commission and advisory board appointments and reappointments. Um, I know Council Member Heilman uh, is not ready tonight. Uh, Council Member Meister, are you ready for? You don't have any left, Council Member Byers? I have four to make, not all of mine will be done tonight either. Um, so. I'll get started. Um, I'm going to appoint Margaret Mann to the Disability Advisory Board, Amber Whittington to the LGBTQ Plus Commission, Mark Yusupov to the Business License Commission, and Joy Freiberg to Public Safety Commission. And I will have more appointments at the next meeting. Thank you. Mayor, I, I do have some, and I first want to apologize to the council and to the community for not uh, being on top of this, but as you know, I had COVID a couple of weeks ago and I'm still um, still not entirely uh, back in the swing of things. So I am gonna appoint to business license, uh, Jordan Cockrum, to Human Services Commission, Sam Borelli, to Public Facilities, Richard Carlos, uh, to Rent Stabilization, Kellen Martz, uh, to Russian Advisory Board, Lubov Leviton, uh, to Senior Advisory Board, Nadia Sutton, uh, to the Transgender Advisory Board, Karina Samala, and to Women's Advisory Board, Angela De Silva. Thank you. Uh, Mayor Pro Tem? Yes, thank you so much. Um, I'm gonna be appointing Melanie Elman to the Women's Advisory Board, Tina Moore to the Rent Stabilization Commission, and Yola Dore to the Disabilities Advisory Board. Thank you. And I have all my appointments as well. Arts and Cultural Affairs will be Mito Aviles, Business License Commission, Danny Hang, Historic Preservation Commission, Michael King, Human Services Commission, Anne-Marie Williams, welcome back. LGBTQ Plus Commission, Nick Casey, Planning Commission, David Gregoire, Facilities, Recreation, and Infrastructure Commission, Jake Mason, Public Safety Commission, Robert Saltzman, Rent Stabilization Commission, Zakia Wright. Transportation and Mobility Commission, uh, Kimberly Winnick. Disabilities Advisory Board, Annie Samanko. Russian Speaking Advisory Board, Sasha Razor. Senior Advisory Board, Esther Baum. Transgender Advisory Board, Blossom Brown. And Women's Advisory Board, Stevie Hall. Mayor, did you do social justice? If you did, I missed it. Social Justice Task Force will be Shannon Morton. Okay. Thank you for Thank you. reminding me of that. Okay, any other direct appointments this evening? Um, the direction at the last council meeting, or the request and direction was to not bring forward the at-large until we're done with all the directs. Is the council still comfortable with that? Okay, yes. so at the next meeting, we'll hopefully finalize our direct appointments and then I'll, uh, the May, first meeting in May, we should be able to start at large. Thank you. Thank you. Great, so we can move now to, we had 5A go to consent, so the recognition and appreciation plaque to honor city council members, uh, council member, or Mayor Pro Tem Erickson and council member Byers, would you like to talk about your item? Yeah, sure, so um, 
I think staff is here. I know there was a couple of questions regarding the cost, but um, I can answer the question. Um, essentially, the cost was the highest estimate of the cost. It could be much lower um, in talking with our colleagues at Beverly Hills. And this is actually, there's two reasons why I thought this item was important. One, it's very apropos that the historical, uh, historical context survey was on the agenda tonight. Um, but I was actually walking around the farmer's market a couple of weeks ago and I was talking to a lot of residents and um, everyone was asking me, who's Helen Elpert? <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? You don't know who Helen was? And it behooved me to then start wandering around and asking other residents if they know their city's history. And I was shocked by the level of um, people not knowing it is. And this included 5, 10, 15 year people. Um, but I think that history is important. Other cities like Santa Monica, Beverly Hills have simple um, recognitions for that service. And I think the recognition for the service for everyone that served on this council is really important. The, um, City of Beverly Hills has an elected treasurer, if I'm not mistaken, that is also on there. They even do the city manager. We would only have a, a few names on there, um, but nevertheless, because um, uh, Paul was here for so long. But um, I think it's really important to know your history is to see your history. Um, and I think that ultimately, um, this is a way in which we can continue to recognize that in a small but humble and modest way. So people, when they see these names, they know their names. I, I know Nick, who's no longer here, mentioned the city's first mayor. I won't say anything more about that. But um, she was the first openly gay mayor of, of the city, and I think that's also important. But to go on and I think recognize this at a, at a way that I think is appropriate. Um, honors that service. So that was the item and the reason why I thought about it. And then when I was at National League of Cities in DC for less than 30 hours or however long I was there for, um, I started asking other cities across the country if they did stuff like this as well. And, and they were actually really shocked uh, to understand like West Hollywood didn't have it as well. So I thought it was something that um, was timely. And so that is why I brought this item forward. I'm happy also to direct it to not be more than a certain amount of money. You know, I, I understand it could be the most, but I know this will come back through the process for what it will be. So that's why I did it. And um, uh, uh, Councilmember Byers, if you wanted to add anything else. No, I appreciate everything you said um, in visiting other cities. And as you mentioned, talking to other folks, it's um, sort of a practice of other cities. And in seeing that, I'm looking forward to seeing how we can do it in our very own West Hollywood way. Uh, well, I'd uh, like to know if we have any public comments on this item. No, Mayor, we do not. Okay, so. <laughs> uh, any comments from my colleagues? Yeah, I know that there were some comments uh, that we received about this being, you know, self-indulgent and things like that, but I, I agree that we need to have a way of documenting our history as a city. And I don't know exactly how to do it. What they have in Beverly Hills seems very ornate and not very West Hollywood. So I, I think the item, and correct me if I'm wrong, is really direction to staff to research and to come back to us with options for how we can uh, recognize that history. And, and if anybody wants to know about Helen Albert, I would be glad to share details about her. She was a wonderful retired teacher who was on our first city council. Councilmember Meister, do you have any comments? Yeah, I would just say let's 
start slowly with putting the names on the website to have it where we talk about the city of West Hollywood and, and, and um, add there, you know, what council members were in place at what times. And I would just uh, agree with council member Heilman that, you know, simple is better <laughs> for me and especially something like this. So. Uh, yeah, no, no, yeah, no golden cows. Yeah. And, and we probably, Passover. <laughs> in our, our public information office, probably has photos of every single city council from the time we were a city. So that could easily be uploaded and put on the website. Yeah. I, I'm really interested to know what creative ideas staff can come back with. Um, and I'm trusting, I'm going to trust their their way of uh, making this West Hollywood. Um, I just kind of foresaw maybe on West Hollywood Day something special happens where in all the different channels that we can utilize, I don't know what, but that seems like an appropriate, I know we talk about the history uh, of West Hollywood on West Hollywood Day, so that would be a good opportunity to do something. Um, but uh, so I'm supportive of this uh, and we'll see what comes back to us from staff. You wanna second your motion? Excellent. Now we are going to go to excluded um, consent calendar, and that was uh, 2H that was pulled. So, uh, Councilmember Meister, would you like yeah. to comment on this? Yeah, I don't need a re I don't need a report if no one else needs a report, but I do have some um, additions that I would like to ask for. Sure. Yeah, we don't need a report. No report. No report. So, um, uh, and I know that we talked about not not doing this on consent, so um, that's why I pulled it. Okay. Uh, so a couple of uh, things that I am interested in adding to this, um, to this uh, agreement for services is, uh, first of all, um, nearly all, if not all, urban areas are LZ3, which is um, lighting zone three. Um, and uh, this study apparently is going to be conducted in the context of LZ4, which is what we put on our sunset um, signage uh, plan. We said that we were LZ4. However, um, what I learned is that LZ4 is not a default zone. Um, it's equivalent to someplace like Times Square, and there is actually a formal process to apply uh, to uh, the California Energy Commission for LZ4, and I don't believe that that was ever done, and by the way, it could be denied. So what I would like to suggest is that when we do this study, that we, we look at it in two, two ways, one LZ4 and also in LZ3. So that way we have the context of both. Um, and then I also would like to make sure that um, that uh, we look at it in the context of our climate action plan. Um, and also, um, I, I know I did ask some questions of, um, of uh, FKA, and uh, they confirmed that there would be what, we, what they call a sky glow analysis, and that's about upward light that goes into the atmosphere and is known to have an impact on uh, on birds, so uh, that will be included. 
but I also feel that there should be something in the study, whether it's with FKA or, or our, anyone we work with who works on our environmental studies, to look at um, the impact of these digital billboards on natural wildlife, because up towards sunset, we actually do have wildlife. We have coyotes, we have mountain lions, um, we have, you know, all kinds of, all kinds of wildlife in the, in the hills. So I just want to make sure, as long as we're doing this study, let's make sure that it's, that it's comprehensive. Um, and that, that's, that's what I'd like to add to this. Thank you. Um, I'm fine with all that. Being as comprehensive is, is um, in my opinion, a good thing. Uh, oh, do we have any public comments on this item? We do not. Okay. Any other colleagues have? Well, any I just wanted to ask staff, uh, you know, the changes that have been proposed by Councilmember Meister, will that add cost to the study? Will it make it more um, challenging to complete this study? I, I would think so, yes. I think we have to go back to the consultant and, and get some further direction on scope and cost based on the direction we're getting tonight. So we'll do that. Would it be prudent, may, may I? Mm -hmm. Would it be prudent to table this then for them to go back and then come back with the item with that understanding? Because I was prepared to approve it as is, but if this does add certain things and timing and everything like that, I think those are considerations we might want to weigh concurrently, but I see city. I mean, I know the consultant is online. Maybe they can say if it would be plus or minus 10% or something like that, or not. The city manager was going to say something. And I was just going to say, so we do have a number of projects that this might hold up. Um, so if we are only adding things, I would suggest maybe approving this, and then we can come back with an amendment. Um, or if we can find out from the consultant if it's going to be 10% more, you can <laughs> add 10% to the costs um, tonight. But I, I think holding off may slow down some of the projects. Okay. Are, is a consultant online and can address this? or Both the consultant and uh, Jennifer Davis, the senior planner, is, are on the line. Jennifer or um, Francis, go ahead and... I'll just jump in quickly um, and then give it to Francis, but um, Francis will have to address the LZ3 and LZ4 and if that adds a lot to the proposal or how much that might be. Regarding the impact on wild, uh, natural wildlife, that, that's out of Francis's um, toolbox. He's not a biologist and so that would require a separate um, proposal with an environmental you know, biologist. So that would be something separate, which we could do, and they could use Francis's um, study analysis in their analysis, uh, but that, I think those things are sort of separate and on two different tracks. And then I'll hand it over to Francis. Yeah, thanks, Jennifer. Um, uh, the, uh, the review with two lighting zones basically doubles the extent of the calculations that we would uh, and the analysis that we would prepare. Um, I, I would also add that I think it may complicate a, no a number of other issues with respect to the policy. 
Um, the policy was developed to stipulate uh, Sunset Boulevard as LZ4 on the basis of measured light that was existing at the time of the implementation of the policy. So the light levels were established based upon the conditions that were in place at that time. Um, uh, lighting levels have probably increased since we did that initial study um, prior to the adoption of the policy. So um, I'm happy to do the study, um, but I just want everybody to understand that the existing conditions on Sunset Boulevard today are consistent with the LZ4 designation. The residential areas uh, adjacent to Sunset Boulevard are consistent with LZ3, and we anticipated using the LZ3 values for those residential locations. So I hope that maybe clears up the purpose of what we proposed. But we're happy to include uh, trying to maintain the LZ3 standard on Sunset Boulevard. I would say that most of what's there today would not comply. Uh, Francis, do you know why we don't have the, um, why we haven't done the formal process, or that may be a question for staff? Well, uh, I, I can't explain the, I'm not sure I understand the question. I guess, I guess shouldn't we have that approval from the well, California I, I Energy Commission? When we, when we created the document, the memo to staff uh, recommending, recommending the uh, uh, adoption of LZ4, we did uh, include the information from the uh, California Energy Code at that time, and I believe the language at that time simply stipulated that it needed to be adopted by the local agency. Um, I, I think the process may be more uh, extensive or differently defined today but I don't think there was anything uh, missing from the adoption process. It was adopted by the city council at that time. Right, I guess then the question is for you, Jennifer, is, is this something that needs to go to the California Energy Commission? That is beyond no, my toolbox. <laughs> Francis, do you know that? Well, I think it, it Again, the language today says that it should be submitted to the uh, to the California Energy Commission. It, it doesn't really stipulate whether they have the right to uh, approve it or disapprove it. And again, uh, the basis of the recommendations prior to the to the adoption of the policy were based upon field surveys and data that we collected that showed that the existing lighting levels along Sunset Boulevard at that time were consistent with the definition of LZ4. So it wasn't a, a, an arbitrary adoption or, or decision. It was based upon the character and the existing conditions on Sunset Boulevard that existed prior to the adoption of the policy. So um, I, mean, if you go I to can't speak to the method of it being confirmed by the California Energy Commission. Okay, I mean, if you go to the California Energy Commission site, they don't have any, any city listed 
as Correct. having LZ4. So and that's- I, and, I, and I know that it's not, um, <clears throat> they're not uh, recommending or, 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 or uh, promoting the idea of using LZ4, except where it's uh, appropriate or consistent with the conditions of the commercial and public use of that space. Uh, and I believe the definition of LZ4, if there's any place in the state of California that it would apply, it would be Sunset Boulevard. There are very few other locations that have the degree of entertainment and night activity that is consistent within the length of Sunset Boulevard. So I, I'm not saying I know where they intended it to, to, to apply, but if you read the text of it and you look at the uh, illuminance values that are defined there, it's very consistent with the conditions that have existed on Sunset Boulevard for many years. Okay, well then as long as the study addresses how digital billboards impact natural wildlife and then the uh, sky glow analysis, and I assume you're also looking at glare. We've talked about glare a lot. Yes, yeah. yes. Okay. I saw that. I saw that in the report. Just want to make sure. Yeah. Okay. With with that clarification, I'm prepared to move the item. Great, we have no uh, legislative items tonight. Uh, this is the last public comment period. Uh, do we have uh, speakers for our last public comment period? We do, we have two individuals in chambers for the final public comment period. And um, I apologize, Granicus has gotten a little slow. Um, it's, it's tired. So our first speaker uh, for the second public comment period is Kathy Blavis to be followed by Rick Watts. Um, good evening, Kathy Blavis, City of West Hollywood. Um, I just wanted to comment tonight on my perception of how much more difficult it is for the community to participate. I'm struck by the fact that we had consultants just now on Zoom, but the community can't Zoom these meetings anymore. The community has to be here in person. If you want a call from home, you have, to dial, you have to call 10 minutes before the meeting starts, and you have to stay on the phone the entire time. You used to be able to call in per item. Um, no offense to the proceedings this evening, but I might have left after the historic, gone home and called in. Um, and what concerns me is that we pride ourselves on aging in place. And aging in place right now, for those who can no longer make it here, um, I'm not calling out any names, but the front row is pretty empty. We know who can no longer make it here. And it's not just for council meetings. I think in this day and age, every single one of our public meetings, every commission, every advisory board, should have the ability for people to be able to stay and age in their home and still continue to participate. So that really concerns me. Um, it also concerns me well, I, I want to give credit where credit is due. I was able to hear the meeting tonight because even though the batteries ran out on some of the, what we re lovingly refer to as the Dobrins, the headsets, um, they do work much better than they used to. They're not as positional. 
but you have to be in the room there's no ability for closed captioning if you know anymore so i think we need to get back to that in the room and we we need to come up to this century and let everybody be able to participate thank you everyone for your time tonight and and my opportunity to speak thank you thank you kathy our next and final speaker is rick watts thank you mayor council rick watts city of west hollywood um, i'd like to echo everything that uh, cynthia just uh, just now said um, i uh, you know we've, we've made good progress but uh, there are still some uh, some blind spots <clears throat> uh, we need to finish getting these appointments done and preferably in a more timely manner than what they historically have uh, have been uh, have been concluded in um, just last week um, the disabilities advisory board was unable to meet for lack of quorum uh, due to a combination of um, vacancies um, one illness that could not get out in in the rain and another person in an electric wheelchair who could not get out in the rain and then inadvertently another vacancy that was created which uh, would have left us with only uh, three persons able to uh, to act on a uh, on a recommendation that council itself had requested and uh, that could have been remedied had Plummer Park 5 and 6 been set up to uh, participate uh, for, for members to participate in Zoom uh, per uh, AB 2449. I believe I have the number right. Uh, and uh, right now we can't even do that, let alone um, take advantage of our rights uh, for reasonable accommodation under the, recent, under the uh, Dis Americans with Disabilities Act. So um, it, um, we just need to get this done in a sooner process, quicker process, and we need to, uh, wherever boards and commissions are, uh, are gonna be meeting, they need to be set up uh, to, for the public, as well as members who may be dealing with a temporary, uh, a temporary, uh, a temporary disability or illness to uh, nonetheless be able to uh, participate and, uh, and in the con conduct of the people's business. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Thank you, Rick. We have one speaker in Zoom as well. Okay. Our next speaker in Zoom is Shane Nash. Shane, you'll have two minutes. Please press star six to unmute yourself. Shane, please press star six to unmute yourself. Shane, please press star six so that we can take your public comment. Okay, Mayor, maybe at this time we move to council member comments and if Shane's able to unmute, then we'll sure. let you know. Sure, thank you. Okay, let's go ahead and move to council member comments, starting with uh, council member Heilman. My comments are very brief tonight. Uh, it's Easter coming up, so I want to wish everyone happy Easter. It's also Passover this week, so 
Hope everyone has a wonderful Passover. It's also Ramadan this week, so hope everyone is having a good fast and uh, enjoy the holidays, enjoy the spring. Council Member Meister. Thank you. In terms of attendance, I attended the Contract Cities ALADS dinner discussion with Sheriff Luna last week. Um, I presented an introduction to business continuity planning to the Chamber of Commerce, and I participated in the pet mayor installation, and it was a howling good time. Uh, um, and uh, I also want to wish everyone a, a happy holiday. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember Byers. Yes, in terms of meeting attendance, I attended the Clean Power Alliance Energy Committee, the Southern California Association of Government, Safe Streets, and Mobility Working Group, the National League of Cities Conference in Washington, D.C., the Contract Cities Dinner with Sheriff Robert Luna, and a series of fabulous award events, including the Stars of Design, the Women in Leadership, and the City of West Hollywood Employee of the Year Luncheon. Um, just want to quickly make a few comments. The Transgender Day of Visibility was last Friday, and in this city, we aim to find ways to realize this day every single day. Uh, a new report out of the Williams Institute finds an estimated nearly 150,000 transgender youth and young adults ages 13 and older in the United States are at risk of being denied gender-affirming medical care due to enacted and proposed state bans and policies. And as these policies paving the pathway to total erasure for trans community across the country are entertained and implemented, we must stand fiercely united in solidarity push back against these attacks. The historical context study showed how important our history of solidarity is and how strong we are when we work to push back against discriminatory policies and how even to this day in our own 1.9 square miles, there's still much work to be done in our own community with regards to housing, workforce, and healthcare discrimination. Just to wrap up this note, I wanted to add that this past week, some of us paid a visit to Congressman Schiff's office, who was very proud to take a photo with us in front of the trans and LGBTQ pride flag, which feels like a very low benchmark for solidarity, but given the fact that he's in Congress with some of the folks he's in Congress with, I felt very grateful. Um, and beyond photos, he's introduced the privacy and education legislation to prohibit the data collection of students' menstrual cycles, yet another heinous overreach of the conservative wing. And I just want to appreciate his leadership in these ways as a reminder of the work that we must be doing at every single level of government to defend and protect the trans community. Um, I want to also give a recognition that uh, April is many uh, months, but it's also the Arts, Culture, and Creativity Month in California. Um, in 2009, the Californians for the Arts successfully campaigned for the state to recognize and celebrate arts by declaring April as Arts, Culture, and Creativity Month through a concurrent resolution passed in the state Senate. In 2021, an additional resolution was declared to recognize artists as second responders. I love that value. I think our community embodies that very well. The city of West Hollywood, also known as a creative city, promotes the arts through a diverse portfolio of arts and cultural programs designed to engage and enrich the lives of residents and visitors. As a creative city, we continue to look for ways to increase community engagement. As you heard earlier tonight from the City Poet Laureate, the city has a Poet Laureate program, which began in 2014, and is soon adding a Drag Laureate program to further enhance arts and cultural programming in West Hollywood. This month, in addition to National Poetry Month, I celebrate arts, culture, and creativity. As arts gives voice to our community, sparks individual creativity, fosters empathy and understanding, spurs civic engagement, and serves as a continual source of personal enrichment, inspiration, and growth. Finally, happy Easter, Passover, and Ramadan, and a very happy birthday to my mom, who'd be very upset if I didn't say that tonight. Thank you. <laughs> Mayor Pro Tem. 
Thank you so much, Madam Mayor. Um, I attended the Motherland film screening and discussion, the 100th anniversary event of the ERA, the Contract Cities Ledge Committee meeting, the Women in Leadership Awards, congrats to all the honorees, the Women's Advisory Board meeting to say thank you for their hard work. I love doing that. The National League of Cities event in DC, where I was in DC for 30 hours, which was a choice on my part. Um, however, I flew because we were able to meet with Congressman Adam Schiff, and because the appropriations packages were due last week, Friday, at 6 p.m., I'm really proud to announce that the city of West Hollywood was selected as one of Adam Schiff's uh, 15 um, submissions for the log cabin um, and the money that we're going there. So um, it doesn't say anything about uh, LGBTQ, women, woke, anything you want to say that would trigger a, a friendly Republican as the appropriations packages have been really restricted lately, but the log cabin is a very historic and very important place to our community um, that was expressed by Councilmember Byers and myself to add Congressman Schiff, who, if we remember, will keep up the good trend. Last year, myself and now Mayor Shine asked him for more money than he gave us. We'll take what he gave us for the CARES team, so we're hoping to continue on this great trend. So I'm really glad to see that, and hopefully we'll have more to report on that. I too attended the ALADS and Contract Cities dinner with Sheriff Luna, where he congratulated us on giving us multiple shout outs that whole day, especially with the recent rise in suicides among sheriff's deputies for doing an event with our public safety awards dinner um, to bring our community together. Um, they specifically cited us. Um, our, the Cal Yimby Ledge briefing for elected officials, I attended um, a ribbon cutting at YMLA, and I too was there to see Chloe, the queen of WeHo, be installed and Howell um, at her installation, and she was cute as a button. Um, additionally, I want to thank my colleagues for item uh, approvals of items 5B, uh, the plaques, uh, the, and 5C, the B removal um, item that came to me through uh, several residents um, where we have to do all that we can to save the bees, and I want to thank the city attorney for working on this and helping with the direction, as well as the community educational forum on psilocybin. Um, I, I truly think that we're going to be dealing with mushrooms, whether we like it or not, at our dispensaries, and so I would like to get ahead of that, as the city of West Hollywood has always done. Um, and additionally, I want to thank uh, uh, and congratulate Barbara Meltzer on being named Woman of the Year by Congresswoman Adam Schiff for con uh, Congressional District 30. She is a gem in our community, and I adore her very much, as I know many of my colleagues do. Um, and then it, I would like to see if we could give direction to the city manager, the city attorney, um, uh, Commissioner Watts and, and, and Ms. Blavis are right um, regarding our Disabilities Advisory Board I, and accessibility um, and direction given by the council. I know that we're dealing with people coming back and we're trying to figure everything out. Uh, sometimes it takes a little bit longer for us to make our at-larges. Some of them come to this meeting for months on end um, and pray one day we'll do the at-larges. Sometimes we like to not do it just to play, no, I'm joking. But um, uh, see, some people are triggered in the audience as it is. Um, but I, I would like to get a report back in some way, shape, or form on if the Disabilities Advisory Board could meet in the council chambers, um, rooms five and six in Plummer Park aren't really accessible. I believe they can't be broadcasted, Zoom-casted, whatever they can do. I know you're shaking your head. Yeah, I thought that was the answer. Um, I don't know what we can do with our limited space, um, if we could go into the Aquatics and Recreation Center, 
but I would like to see that accessibility option be presented and, and hopefully brought up for our DAB and potentially our SAB. Um, we want to give that all the care and attention we can give um, with that space. So I don't know legally what we're allowed to do now with the COVID pandemic flexibility gone. It's kind of back to the shebang of 2019. Um, but if there's anything we are allowed to do, I would love for maybe us to have that conversation and for us to figure out how we could accommodate two of our most important uh, boards and, and members of our community to make sure they're a part of the process. So however you want to bring that back, but that would just be direction if my colleagues don't have any hesitation to that. <coughs> thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, uh, I want to just announce that the Black Women Lead pop-up market is on Saturday, April 8th from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, we invite you to visit the Black Women Lead pop-up market in West Hollywood Park. This free event will feature black vendors, panelists, and performers at the park. For more information on this free event, including RSVP details, please visit www.weho.org forward slash calendar. Uh, I also want to um, wish... Uh, Everyone celebrating a happy Easter, uh, lovely, peaceful Passover, and um, continued peace for Ramadan. What an incredible time of the year that three major um, religions and uh, all the people that celebrate these traditions and cross over. It is an incredible time of recognizing uh, unity and togetherness. Um, I want to thank my colleagues for uh, supporting 2S, a resolution to commemorate the victims of the Armenian genocide and to condemn mass atrocities and human rights <coughs> violations against any people. There have been anti-Armenian uh, pro-genocide flyers uh, in Beverly Hills and most recently in Glendale. Uh, and I want to express our support for the Armenian community experiencing this hate. The flyers also act to create a divide between Jewish, the Jewish community and uh, Israel and Armenian people. And I was glad to see that Jewish leaders have stood up to condemn these flyers, which are likely being created by the same people that have put anti-Semitic flyers in the region, including West Hollywood. So. We must all stand together during this time of rising hate and uh, know that the enemy is the rising hate and not let um, these acts divide us. Since our last council meeting, I attended the Cal City's LGBTQ caucus board meeting. I spoke at the International Women's Day rally at UCLA. I attended the Moms Against Poverty fundraiser and gave them a proclamation. I moderated the Motherland film, film panel after the screening, uh, went to the Elton John AIDS Foundation after party. It was a lot of fun. Uh, the LA County Woman of the Year luncheon. Uh, I was uh, proud to be invited by Supervisor Horvath to that. That was lovely. Um, I attended the City Playhouse Design Steering Committee meeting with where uh, my colleague, Council Member Byers, uh, led the meeting very well. Um, I attended the Cal City's Governance, Transparency, and Labor Relations Policy Committee. Uh, I went to the Iran with Love fundraiser and presented them with a proclamation. I attended the White House Nauru celebration. Uh, it was such an honor to represent West Hollywood as mayor 
in the White House. Uh, I'm so grateful, very, very grateful for that. Um, I attended the Women's History Month 100th anniversary of the ERA event, uh, the Women in Leadership Awards and Reception, the grand opening of John Varvatos and gave them a proclamation, the National League of Cities Conference, of course the Pet Mayor installation and Picasso Pets event this weekend and Chloe wanted to let everyone know that she appreciates everyone and she is going to do a positively good job as Pet Mayor. Uh, now, as part of my comments at each council meeting, I've made it a priority to provide updates on the situation in the Islamic Republic of Iran in light of the protests that began in September 2022 following the death of Massa Amini, and these protests have now turned into a revolution. Updated figures on the number of people detained and executed have not been released publicly. Since the revolution known as Woman Life Freedom began taking place throughout Iran, it has sparked protests in many parts of the world. This movement continues to bring hope for change, create public pressure to help make the crimes of those in political power visible, and in turn provides a voice for the voiceless. The message of the Iranian people as well as all Iranians that are part of the diaspora throughout the world, um, the majority is very clear. It is for an end to the Islamic regime and the atrocities they have committed for over 44 years um, on the people of Iran. And uh, this woman life freedom revolution, the first woman-led revolution in the world um, is very much connected to uh, the rise in fascism and the breakdown of, uh, the intended breakdown of democracy by the far right in our country. So um, there is a connection there and there's no coincidence that this is all happening at once. So please uh, reach out to your Iranian American uh, friends, as I have advocated at every single council meeting, reach out to your uh, local officials, assembly members, Congress people, um, to make sure that everyone is informed and doing as much as possible to put maximum pressure on uh, Iran um, and other countries to do everything in their power to make sure that this Islamic regime is weakened. China, Russia, and Saudi Arabia and Iran coalescing together is a big threat to freedom everywhere and a big threat to America. And also please make sure to continue to advocate for freedom and democracy in our home country of America so that we continue to stay the beacon of hope for the entire world. And with that said, I am looking at the time and it is 9.39 and our meeting is adjourned to our next Mayor, council. Mayor, we still have the speaker on Zoom. Oh, okay, great, we got him back. So we're not gonna adjourn yet. Apologies so for that. <laughs> Let's bring Shane on, thank you. Shane, please press star six to unmute yourself. Two minutes. Thank you so much. Um, 
Good evening, Council Members um, Pro Tem Erickson and Mayor Shine. Um, I just want to say thank you again for recognizing the transgender brother that we actually lost recently and for Charles Bono to uh, make an event uh, at Plummer Park. Please reach out to uh, his Facebook to get that information covered. Uh, unfortunately, tonight I am here to just address uh, a certain issue that I've experienced and I'll be as brief as I possibly can because then everybody wants to go home. Uh, as a survivor of sexual assault, I know far too often uh, the trauma that comes with having my personal and private life put on display for others to debate, while words like allegedly are used while my body still bears the physical damage inflicted by my attacker. And now to add insult to injury, my communications are being requested by a local blog owner in some attempt to create a narrative that doesn't exist. The language in this blog has been harmful and something no survivor should ever have to endure while trying to still heal from the injuries. The person this blog even worked with on the piece that called me out tonight called in and said that they are not being held from any board that this uh, article alleges. It is beyond appalling to think that someone would request text messages between two rape survivors to create more content for their provocative blog as they self-identify without any sensitivity to the subject matter. This behavior is not only unethical but also dangerous, particularly given the current political climate. That, and the fact that I'm a transgender survivor who already has experienced public calls for the eradication of my community. As someone who has suffered greatly publicly from speaking out and deeply disgusted by this behavior, folks often talk about supporting small businesses, but we cannot turn a blind eye to the crimes that are happening within our city. I am pro-business despite the labels that are placed on me by others. This type of behavior is causing community and residents to feel unsafe, preventing them from enjoying the city to the fullest potential, especially with these false stories and narratives causing panic among residents. I am asking city council to speak out against this behavior, especially particularly to rape survivors. Thank you so much for giving them the time tonight. Thank you. Um, I would just like to say that uh, the toxicity and um, uh, the toxicity of this blog and continued um, misinformation and attacks on community members and members of this council um, is creating real harm. And uh, we've now had two uh, sexual assault survivors call in this evening expressing the harm that they both have uh, experienced. And we are a city and will always be a city that um, is for love and most of our community, the majority of our community is for love and safety and um, So, per Shane's request, I am calling out this blog for um, its continued uh, very Trumpian right-wing uh, intentions and uh, that um, have provided, have created a space for hate. And that's exactly what it is. 
Um, and at the same time, uh, it's important for everybody affected by this hate to remember that the city of West Hollywood and the council um, is very, very interested in continuing to be a city of love and safety for all. Um, and with that said, it is, oh, I can't see now because I don't have my glasses on, 9.44, and we're going to adjourn this meeting uh, to its next regular meeting, which is Monday, April 19th, 2023, at 6 p.m. at West Hollywood Park.